and uh, in Sacramento, um, there are there's a community Kwanzaa um, sponsored by the Friends of Del Paso Heights Library in Phoenix Drum and Dance, and that's uh, three to five today um, in Del Paso Heights Library, 920 Grand Avenue in Sacramento, and the the um, Community Kwanzas continue in San Francisco. Um, and let me see if I can find those details for you. Um, with Sister Adrienne Williams, um, who, um, wow, <laughs> she does a really wonderful job um, with Kwanzas um, throughout the Bay Area. And uh, Adrienne, let's see. Find it for you. Here we go. The Village Project, and uh, make sure I have the right year. Yes, it's the uh, 14th annual citywide Kwanzaa celebrations. So yesterday was Uji uh, Umoja, and today Kujishakalia Self Determination. Uh, let me see where where the events are going to be happening, and I'll post it too. So today, um, 1 o'clock, Western Edition Family Resource Center and Hamilton Recreation Center, 1900 Gary at Steiner. And then at 4 o'clock is at OMI Family Resource Center, uh, 650 Capitol Avenue. And at 6 p.m. is in Bayview at the YMCA. And that's at 1601 Lane Street. The YMCA and Rafiki Wellness are hosting that one together. And uh, and again, I'll I'll post the rest of the uh, the village projects, but you can also go online uh, to find out more about where the uh, rest of the Kwanzaa 2019 events are happening. And uh, you can also call 415-424-2980, and you can visit the village project sf.org for more information. And I am going to rebroadcast um, a Kwanzaa special that we had in 2012. <laughs> and uh, But I want to remind folks about the uh, the wonderful concert, uh, Laku Misik's concert. They're opening for the... Preservation Hall Jazz Band at the Fillmore Auditorium on New Year's Eve, which is Tuesday, December 31st. Uh, the doors open at 8, the show starts at 9, and they're going to be highlighting their new uh, CD, 2019 CD, Haiti Anola, Haiti Anola, New Orleans, Louisiana's Nola. And uh, it's going to be really, really awesome. We talked about it on Tuesday. Just want to remind folks, give you a reminder, heads up. It's going to be really, really, really wonderful. So let's see our Kwanzaa Special 2012. I uh, I was looking through my notes and uh, wrote something about Sister McKenya and a wonderful um, uh, uh, Nairobi, Nairobi Kwanzaa Committee presented Kujishagalia Self-Determination. 
December 27th, and that was uh, that was in 2008, and um, I think it was 2000. Yeah, it was 2008, and I wrote something. It was pretty. I said it was pretty drafty, <laughs> but I just wanted to remember Sister McKenya, um, and uh, and I wanted to um, read something that I wrote about her and Kwanzaa that year because it was pretty nice. So I'm going to read that, and then we'll we'll um, play the uh, special. I always enjoy Kwanzaa. I love the Bay Area Kwanzaa Committee programs better than all the rest for the spirit and authenticity of these gatherings. That's not to say I don't enjoy uh, the Bay Area Kwanzaa because uh, Sister Adrian has produced some really, really wonderful programs. But anyway, this is what I'm reading. <laughs> um, I always enjoy Kwanzaa. I love the Bay Area Kwanzaa Committee programs better than all the rest for the spirit and authenticity of these gatherings. There I see the Pan-Africans, the Garveyites, the new African folks, people whose children attended independent black schools, children of the 60s who believed in the idea of an African nation connected once again theoretically across borders, the lines once again erased. You'll see many photos of my good sister, Makenya Kuwate, because she is the one responsible single-handedly in teaching everyone how to conduct the community Kwanzaa. I hear she got a car and traveled throughout the country, first the western region and then further east, and spread uh, or taught the African nation how to perform the ceremony. As I sat next to her last night in Nairobi, and the young woman began to light the candles, assisted by children from the audience, Sister McKenya asked me if she, if she started with the red candle, and I told her yes. She said initially before Malanga, Malana Ron Karanga invited white people into the ceremony, the candles reflected the black nationalist flag, nationalist flag, red, black, green, black in the center, the red, black, green. I was like, wow, I didn't know this. As this Kwanzaa is the only one I've ever attended where there is so much black in the Kanara or candle holder. I like the idea of the green candle at the end and the red in, in the, at the beginning out of struggle or labor comes fruit or measurable results, the green candle or harvest. The fact that there is more than one black candle adds a lot to the image, which is more powerful and more African. Uh, when Cabral asked the question, why is Kwanzaa important? Why should it continue? What is its significance? Avacha said, Kwanzaa was important because of him. The independent black school graduates who almost outnumbered those in the audience. I was with people who never attended Kwanzaa before in Nairobi, and this was their first one. I never attended before last year, and I did last year because Baba Eddie Abrams asked me to document the event for his television show. Someone else did the documenting, but I was so happy to attend such a joyous celebration of African heritage. There was a live jazz band, the Wobogo Jazz Ensemble, featuring one of my friends, drummer brother Ajitan, and his wife Barbara, whom I hadn't seen in years. I wanted to make it last night, Kujishakalia, because it was the last place I saw brother Imam Benjamin Ahmed before he was killed a few months ago. It was like a pilgrimage. I wanted to hear his name called and Sister 
Tiambe shared stories of how he encouraged the children who didn't have men in their lives to achieve greatness. I also had an opportunity to spend some time with Sister Hunia, whom I knew from the community but didn't really know. She used to host a community Kwanzaa at the Fermery Park in Oakland. This year, the Oakland Parks and Recreation Centers are closed, along with the libraries, so she won't be hosting anything this year there. I was thinking about all the former Kwanzaa houses where initially during those early years, gatherings grew from just a handful of friends and family to hundreds of people, too many to count, too many to contain in a small room. The first Kwanzaa in Los Angeles in 1967 was just for United Slave members, Malanga, Malana, Malanga, <laughs> sorry, Malanga, Cascalort, I shake to your name, Malana Ron Karanga's organization. The next year, 1968, the broader community was invited to participate in the first Kwanzas, which were in people's homes. Avacha interrupted the gathering to tell people how important Sister McKenna was to us, that without her, we wouldn't know how to practice Kwanzaa that she was the reason why it is a global celebration of the harvest and principles which, if followed, give direction and purpose to our lives. We were a part of a retreat last year with a Zimbabwean healer, uh, Madanza, at Wolsey House of Amara to establish a diary for African people. But since the retreat and one follow-up conversation, we haven't met. So it was an opportunity, this Kwanzaa in Nairobi, or what's known as East Palo Alto, to reconnect with at least one member of the assembly. Kwanzaa held for me the promise of a better tomorrow, regardless of the current instability and crisis. There is hope on the horizon, but nothing will happen if we don't grab each other, pull each other close, and tell each other I love you. This was the message last night of so many from Ajitan, the elder man in the assembly at 75 years old. And again, that was in 2008. <laughs> so I times a lot more, a lot more, more of an elder now. Sister McKenna, the elder in the house at 82, <laughs> I shade to her memory. Avaja, the elder woman last night, and the speaker for the evening, Pastor Andre Harris. Both Avaja and Ajitan drank from the unity cup held by Sister McKenna for all assembled as they accepted the principal, Kuji Shakalia or self-determination, which is the principle today, December 27, 2019. I attended an independent black school, Muhammad University, so did my brother, yet I'm never invited to participate in anything celebrating our academic autonomy. I might not know the African Liberation Pledge, but its principles, similar to those practiced in the Kwanzaa ceremony and thereafter for 52 years each, 52 days each, with one day left over for meditation on the experience, were ones we based our lives, our lived our lives on as members of the Nation of Islam then. Our principles were freedom, justice, and equality for the black nation. We had sustainable communities. I knew black doctors and grocers. We had restaurants and farms where we grew our own food. We had our own schools and black teachers. We were encouraged to study and share our knowledge with each other. I banked at a black bank, and though not perfect, I didn't always get paid on time. I enjoyed being a member of the community and felt comfortable and safe and loved, at least between the years of 10 and 16. 
And after 16, I figured the one bad apple didn't need to spoil an entire barrel. So I separated the person from the principles of faith he obviously didn't believe in or practice and decided to protect my children if and when I had any so that they would not experience what I experienced with any clergy or any man or any men in authority in or outside of our community. I was like the secret service, present yet invisible. (laughs) I asked the ancestors and all and other angels to look after them, and to my knowledge they did. But back to Kuji Shagalia, self-determination, I became fascinated by it once I could pronounce it, and I saw it manifested in my sister Favia, Kuji Shagalia's person. I love the way she wears Kuji Shagalia. I also like the way Geronimo Tijaga implements it, and Geronimo is an ancestor too, I shade to his memory, how Geronimo Tijaga, uh, formerly Geronimo Pratt, implements it in his Kuji Foundation, an organization based on its principles, the first or the action, the first. or the action which brought the organization to my attention. He his putting in a well in Arusha, Tanzania. I thought this was really honorable and so necessary. So the women uh in uh Arusha wouldn't have to travel for hours to get clean water. There is so much those of us Uh oh. Oh, I just lost my spot. <laughs> Sorry, I gotta find it. Um, oh, here we are. There, there is so much. Um, those of us who have clean water, just a slight wrist movement away, take for granted. So, um, so anyway, uh, that um, uh, that's well. I'll read a little bit more. <laughs> um. I already mentioned to you where um, uh, the uh, Shagalia events are happening in Sacramento and um, in San Francisco this this afternoon and this evening. Um, but um, let's see. if we are having a crisis among our youth, as Baba Greg and Pastor Andre pointed out. This also this is also pointed out a year ago. Then, what do we do about it? What action do we take today and for the next twelve months, which we can report on the following Ujima, uh, and Ujima is tomorrow. Um, um, with the passing of our beloved sister C. Diane Howe, it is evident none of us will be here forever, and none. Uh, yeah, none will be here forever. So we need to find our bliss and do what we love. We are supposed to be happy, and like the corn, which represents the children uh, in, on the uh, mkeka or mat, uh, each seed representative of the generation to come, happiness is not only contagious, it reproduces, one smile generating another and another. Pastor Andre's father reminded me of mine, only he wouldn't throw uh, the unmade bed out of the house onto the lawn, but he would break all the dishes in the sink if they weren't washed when he came home. 
We washed walls all the way to the baseboards on the weekend, swept and dusted all the places company never saw. But my dad knew collected dust or grime. He was a military like Andre's dad who gave that talk at the Kwanzaa <laughs> uh, that I'm referencing in Nairobi, little Nairobi. Um, my dad uh, was military because in the Nation of Islam, we were military. We had captains and lieutenants and vanguards. I was a vanguard. <laughs> so anyway, um, if you want to read the rest of this, um, I am going to uh, stop rambling. <laughs> uh, I didn't read it all. I read most of it. And again, that's uh, I wrote this uh, referencing the uh, Nairobi Kwanzaa Committee's presentation of Kujishagalia, or Self-Determination, uh, December 27th, uh, 2008. And, um, and I, uh, I found a song by uh, Sweet Honey and the Rock, and if I can figure out how to convert it, I will play it. Uh, it's really, really, really nice, and it's about um, it's about Kwanzaa. And I'm like, ooh, this is beautiful. Um, but I've got this Kwanzaa special, and I'm really curious about hmm, what did I what who's on it? <laughs> and then and then I have another uh, Kwanzaa with Adrian Williams, um, but I'm not going to play that right now. I'm really interested in playing this in this uh, Kwanzaa special. And I got another one, Kwanzaa 2008 to 2018. And I'm not sure about that one either. <laughs> so I'm going to play this Kwanzaa special, and, and I hope that we like it um, because it's here, and so it must have been good. But let's just see what we're talking about here and who's on the air. <laughs> so enjoy. Don't call it a project, call it an initiative. 
Um, okay. Initiative. Basically, okay. no, but it is a project. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> it uh, is to honor ancestors, uh, the African and African American ancestors. Um, we initially focused uh, primarily on, and we still do, on the two million Africans who uh, died in the crossing from from the continent to the Americas or to Europe or the West Indies. Uh, there are two million ancestors who we just basically have forgotten, I think, in a lot of ways. And uh, because they're unknown, and in a sense, um, we, it's, they've just been dismissed for 500 years. So we are addressing those two million and as well as the 10 million who did uh, arrive in the Americas. And with this particular project, we, along with other programs and and communities, um, have identified in the United States 40 uh, Middle Passage ports where Africans arrived immediately uh, after uh, leaving Africa and coming off ship. And I don't think a lot of people in the United States in particular realize how uh, pervasive uh, the trade was in the colonies and later in in just the Americas. So to hold a ceremony, uh, which we have sort of narrowed down in terms of initial or critical components, would be um, a clearing by the Native American community at the area where we will hold the ceremony, a cleansing, uh, basically, asking Native Americans if they would give us permission to honor our ancestors. Um, Then we would have a unity prayer and drumming and a libation to the ancestors. We've done this now. We've finished the Middle Passage ports for for all of the state of Maryland. Uh, So we've Mm -hmm. done our first one in Baltimore, the one that you were talking about, which was a dawn and dusk ceremony at which a total of about 500 people attended. And and, um, then we did, uh, at the Clintakinti Festival in Annapolis, we folded into that festival and had a remembrance ceremony uh, at the beginning and end of the festival. And uh, in November, on Veterans Day, we had the final ceremony on the Patuxent River at the Soderly Plantation, uh, where actually the descendants of many of the enslaved who had worked on that plantation or that estate uh, participated. So each each one of the ceremonies has been different. I mean, it's different settings, different people attending. And that's one of the things that, that we really encourage is that the communities, the descendant communities in each one of these port sites will determine, you know, what their what their remembrance ceremony will be. And then the second phase of each one of these is to place a historical marker at that port site so that anyone coming to, say, Baltimore, coming to visit the Southerly Plantation, uh, going to Annapolis, will see that this was a Middle Passage port. This is where our ancestors um, came in. And we do a, a brief statement of history at each one of these ports. Uh, it's It's been... A, a really wonderful experience for for all of us who are involved, and 
I, I really want to go on record as saying that, you know, these ceremonies have been occurring for years um, in, say, in places like South Carolina, Charleston, at Fourth, uh, uh, Sullivan's Island. Uh, you all have yours out in Oakland. Uh, uh, San Francisco, yeah. San Francisco, um, yeah. Yeah, it's I been mean, 17 years now. Right, so we're not we're not inventing this. This is nothing new, but what we're trying to do is ensure that at each one of the ports that there will be a ceremony and eventually that there will be a marker. Um, so we go on record. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then now with, you know, the new film, um, uh, Durango, with uh, Jamie Foxx and uh, Carrie Washington and others, that is, oh, my goodness, it really puts the atrocity of what our ancestors experienced. And it's, like, really over the top of it. You think, like, it's worse than that. It's really amazing. Have you had a chance to see that film yet? No, I haven't. I I probably uh, will when I get up to Washington D.C. because I'll be up there with family and I'll, you know, have some days and free days and and just go and 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 look at. at... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's just you know right on time. Uh, you know your organization and you know marking these ports. And and we think about the 150th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, which is January 1st, uh, 2013, referencing January 1st, 1863. It's all really coming coming to fruition around we have to recognize our ancestors and their passage as well as, you know, these United States of America need to look at how we're going to heal this because, you know, we talk about reparations and presidents have apologized, but that's not money. And then we look at our community and we look at the new Jim Crow, we look at all of our brothers and sisters that are on the new plantation, uh, you know, the prison system here in our country. Right. So, it, you know, it's just really, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes to mind when you think about these ports where our people came in from Africa to work for free for three, four centuries. Right. I mean, it's well for this nation. Mm-hmm. Right. It's marking. It's it's an official marking of our beginning in in yeah. in the experience that that occurred here in the Americas. And and um, one of the things I'm really pleased. Number one, that you know, on the first day of Kwanzaa, we're talking about our ancestors. I think that's really appropriate, um, that we created um, this this nation. Um, a, a lot of what people say is America uh, or the United States or Brazil, all of, all of what we see as those national personalities and the culture, um, the, the buildings, all of that uh, was was developed with our labor. Um and I just don't think that we ever realize uh how crucial and pivotal uh our ancestors were in developing what has become this nation. Um we don't and I don't think until we do we understand our own value and our worth uh we won't get too far because we'll 
keep on folding into to distractions, I guess is one of the ways. And and we're constantly uh, in a position where we find too many of our own community just struggling to survive. And and that has to do with, with the history, uh, a history that's been in place for, as you said, hundreds of years. Um, so we, we all have to go beyond where we are. And our ancestors did that you know, just so that we could be here, and we need to we need to take it to another level. We, we truly do. And I'm hoping that this this project will be part of it. I went and saw a couple of weeks ago the um, the film Lincoln. You know, which mm-hmm. which really yeah. reflected how ambivalent this country was in in, in signing that Thirteenth uh, Amendment. I mean, and that was after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed. And, you know, and then you just zoom on through the history of the, of the late 19th and, and through the 20th century. And us, and some of those battles, we're still fighting. Um, we're, we're still demanding uh, that, that we have this a secure place and that we are, we are Americans uh, as much as we are descendants of of Africans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also next year is the 50th anniversary of the uh, March on Washington, Martin King's March on Washington, and the I Have a Dream speech. And it's just been 50 years. It's like, wow, that's... that's I know. <laughs> that, that, that's so young. I mean, like, I'm over 50. I'm like, wow, that was... <laughs> that's quick. What? Right, right. I mean, I remember being yeah. a teenager, you know, down on the mall with my father and my best friend that day. You know, uh, wow, doesn't you seem were like there? it was. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was oh that long God. ago. <laughs> oh, that is so cool! Oh, that yeah. is so amazing! Yeah. Wow, so you saw Doctor Height, Dorothy Height there. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness! And she spoke. Yes. Oh, yeah. She was the only woman that spoke. Yeah. Oh, exactly. that is awesome. Wow, wow. Yeah. So let me tell our audience a little bit about you, Anne. Um, you are the uh, executive director of the Middle Passage Ceremonies and Port Markers Project, MPP. And yourself, described community activist. Your work has included children and family advocacy with the Washington, D.C. government and work as a retailer, textile artist, and organizer of a collective artist market. Uh, you have also written an extensive family history in collaboration with family members. And um, you, uh, let's see. I don't want to. Um, oh, uh, during the, uh, this current phase of your, your work, you are completely devoting yourself to um, marking these ports with ceremony, remembering our ancestors. And it's the fulfillment of a vocation and a promise. And um, and you said uh, you say in your um, your bio that only once in a while is a person fortunate to know it clearly the purpose of a life. For me, this project is that. And uh, having put it aside, asking the ancestors to wait just a bit longer for 25 years is like wow. <laughs> I keep my commitment to remember them. <laughs> and you said uh, that what's unique about this project is that it demands from each of us the personal acknowledgement of losses and contributions within the struggle to survive enslavement, no matter whether our relationship to the horror was 
as the victim, as a perpetrator, or as an indirect beneficiary. It is a shared arc of history that needs to be physically marked. This project reinforces in some cases reestablishes our humanity as we begin to honor our dead in the Atlantic. And then you write that you were born and raised within a loving, diverse family whose history in this land spans more than 300 years of Tidewater Virginians, New England Patriots, and District of Columbia and Georgetown residents. You attended public and parochial schools, Mount Holy, Holyoke, Holyoke, Holyoke College, and the George Washington University. In this life, you say your treasures are your three children, your three grandchildren, and a daughter by marriage. Three great, three grandchildren, um, uh, a patient spouse, <laughs> numerous relatives, wonderful friends, and four acres of land on St. Helens and St. Helena Island, South Carolina. So, tell me about this communication with the ancestors and how patient they've been for you to start this vocation well, yeah. and this mission of your life this, and this particular phase of it. Well, uh, actually, the the concept of the, of the project was a birthday gift, my 39th birthday. Uh, a friend of mine oh. said, yeah, a friend of mine said that uh, Toni Morrison had told him that she was haunted um, by the ancestors in the Atlantic, and she did not know what to do with it. And she had mentioned it to him, and she says, what are your ideas? And I guess he mulled over it a bit, and on my 39th birthday, he said, I'm giving you a birthday gift. And I said, what is it? And the story of the of the the ancestors in the Atlantic. He said, so here it is. I said, here's what? He said, it's it's on you. <laughs> and I went, oh, right. Uh, so initially, you know, your, your first instinct is, oh, we'll have a celebration and we will go to Africa and have a big festival. Well, you know, over a period of 25 years, you you get to be a little bit reasonable and you understand that it's not about a, uh, a party and a celebration in a sense and a gathering. Uh, it really has to be a commemoration and a memorial and honoring. And that it has to be, I mean, I think that the value of history, the value of the story is when it becomes personal. And in order to do that, uh, I don't know when the light bulb came on, but decided that it would have to be at each Middle Passage port. Uh, where we would hold that remembrance ceremony so that it means something to that individual community. It's not abstract. History is not abstract. And one of the things, uh, we have a website, and at least weekly we try to put up a post, and the one that's coming up, I hope today, encourages everybody to sit down at some point during this holiday season and to talk to an elder ask them about what it was like in the day um, and or what they remember about things that they had heard about the family. Record this. Uh, don't, don't be haphazard with your pictures. You know, look at those photographs. Ask people about those people that are, that are in your family albums. There are stories. There's history. And it has to be personal. It has to be something that you identify with. Um, I think that I have found that more 
extensively as I've done my own personal family history. But when I speak to young people in colleges, uh, in in you know community groups, when I'm talking about this project, I say, you know, if you study your own family history, you will know, you will know who you are, you will know about this country, you will know about this world because you are reflected in that. Your family history is reflected in that. So that was that was how it started, you know, sort of in the abstract, and it's become far and far more personal uh, with each one of the ceremonies. As I said, the last one uh, was at Soderley, where we actually had the descendants of those who, were, who had been enslaved on that estate. Um, they were the ones who decided what that program would look like. And in 2013, you know, marking, of course, the Emancipation uh, Proclamation um, Mm -hmm. as well as the march, we are going to focus primarily on states of Virginia and Florida. Those are the two states where there has been the longest uh, history of an African presence on this mainland. Uh, a recorded presence, presence, I would say. Right. Uh, so that you know, for for Saint Augustine and Pensacola, you know, Africans started coming there in in the 16th century. I mean, before any other Europeans had laid claim to the to the mainland. Um, and and Virginia, you know, of course, was considered the first colony uh, for the British. A hundred years later, well, in each one of those arrivals, there were Africans, and it's not even it's not even mentioned, you know. I mean, it's it's as if people tell this story, and we're constantly not a part of it. There's there's not an ex- a European explorer that did not come with an African. I mean, Champlain in Canada. You know, throughout the, of course, Christopher Columbus had had folks on his ships, you know, who were African descended. Um, I I just don't think we know our history. We don't we don't mm-hmm. we don't know it as it should be. Uh, so when I hear people talking about, you know, uh, you know, let's take our country back, and, you know, what are you what are you talking about? When did it become exclusively yours? It's always been ours, <laughs> literally from the beginning, you know. And I, I think that that has to be known, and it has to. We have to honor our ancestors, you know. Uh, I just finished reading a, a book uh, by Egan on uh, Curtis, who did the extensive photographs of the Native Americans um, in the Southwest, particularly, and in the Plains. And he talks about how Curtis was at one point, I think, up with the Blackfeet uh, in the Midwest, and he saw this group of of darker um, Native people uh, within the within the community. And so he asked the the chief. He says, "Who who are those people? They look a little bit different from um, from the rest of the uh, of the uh, population." And the guy says, "Oh, those are the descendants of this guy York. 
you know, who came with these two white guys, <laughs> you know. And it and it ends up that if York hadn't been with Lewis and Clark, they'd have never made it to the Northwest. You know, I mean, all of all of our history is is entwined, um, but we don't know it. We don't we don't we don't have a sense of of how uh, much we were involved in creating this nation. Yeah, I was looking at, um, it's really nice that uh, you send out periodically information about what's going on with the uh, the organization. And so in Florida, you, you know, you, as you mentioned, you're going to be going to uh, uh, Pensacola and St. Augustine, but also Amelia Island. And uh, and then in Virginia, you're going to be going to Jamestown, No Fork, um, how do you pronounce it? Rappahannock? Rappahannock. On the Rappahannock. Rappahannock and Yorktown. And then you're going to be going to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, what is it? Christianstead and St. Croix? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you mentioned that you're not including Hamptons Point Comfort, uh, Virginia, or Key West, Florida, because uh, the descendant communities at both sites hold annual ceremonies. This you know, see to pull all this together. How large is your staff? Uh, <laughs> you're talking to the <laughs> staff. <laughs> the, hey, the volunteer staff. I mean, you know, we 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 do it we do it for love. You know, I I always jokingly say, eventually I'm going to either end up in bankruptcy or or divorce court. Or and my sister-in-law laughs and says, I think it'll be both. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it is it it. It's a lot of work. I mean, you know, we have a great executive board, um, you know, who work tirelessly. But there is there is no staff. I mean, this 2013, we will hopefully uh, be able to do some do some fundraising. Um, I I got a wonderful call from a woman in Philadelphia who says, "Well, I want to spearhead it for Philadelphia. I want to do the Delaware River and Penn's Landing." And I went, "Thank you." Thank you. So, you know, if people are listening and and they want to know where the ports are, you know, be glad to provide that information. If they want to take the lead, yes, uh, we'll do anything we can to support you, give you technical assistance, uh, hook you up with, you know, different organizations nationally uh, to make it happen. Uh, You know, as I said, there are, I don't know whether, no, we didn't say, we only said 40 in the U.S., but there are 175 ports uh, throughout uh, North America, Central America, South America, the West Indies, and Europe. I want to get this finished in in eight years. Um, as oh, I said, fair. yeah, the ancestors have waited way too long. So, yeah, yeah, we we are working constantly. I mean, I I probably put in about 60 hours a week um, mm-hmm. on on the project doing research and. It, like we have to pull Norfolk off the list because I, even though it's listed as being a, a port where ships were outfitted uh, for the slave trade, uh, academics are telling me and historians are going, well, we don't have any evidence that Africans were brought in. I'm going, well, who do you think built the ships? But okay, you know, I'm not going to fight those kind of battles. I mean, if if people question a designation of a port. Um, 
even though we have certain data until it's firm. You know, I'm not I'm not making up uh, these ports, and I'm sure that in doing more research, Norfolk probably I hope will go back on the list. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. we added Wilmington, North Carolina, and we're trying to tie in all of the Gullah Geechee uh, corridor. Uh, so that we could do that all at one time. So that goes from Wilmington down to Amelia Island. And uh, to get that descendant community involved uh, at these ports that are in their, uh, what I would call, territory. Mm-hmm. What it is is to to have people relate uh, to to the arrival of our ancestors. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we do. I mean, that's, that's what we do all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I was um, I'm reading a book right now. It's called uh, Sugary Rising by um, J. Douglas Allen Taylor, and it's a fictionalized uh, historic novel about uh, the uh, Sugary River, and and it was dammed, and it flooded out the whole community of African American South Carolina uh, community. Um, it was real African. Centered and uh, really traditional, and just completely just flooded them out, and and all gone now. It's underwater, mm-hmm. and it's just a really, really great, great novel. Just what I was just talking about, you know, there were like all these black towns that are gone, uh, in in some way or another, similar to the way that black farmers were disenfranchised of their land and uh, and their property. So. Yeah, it's just really wonderful just remembering. Remembering is really important. And then on, on the first day of Kwanzaa, was this, which is Umoja um, or Unity, and it's the black candle, right? It's, it's the one that goes in the center. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, and the whole idea of, you know, remembrance and marking things, as, you know, John Hendrick Clark talked about, um, you know, we have to put monuments at these significant places in our in our history, so that people have to pause because this is important, and I'm sure the ancestors are just really cheering. But I want to know, um, uh, in our closing moments, uh, your thoughts on to sort of the whole idea of Umoja and how this work that you're doing can really pull our community together in a way that maybe other things have not pulled it together. And then I want you to have an opportunity to talk, give a shout out to your fantastic board. And yeah. an honorary board. It's like, oh my God, you got like everybody. Well, we try. Really, it's, it's really impressive. Thank you, thank you. Well, I I think as I said that one of the major components of of any ceremony that we are uh, involved with, either sponsoring or 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 supporting, we insist on a unity prayer. And I think it's very important. Um, the idea that um, our ancestors who got on those ships who were pulled from all over the continent, and literally they were, uh, they came as distinct and, and, and separate people. I mean, they didn't come uh, unified in in one sense. They came as, you know, Igbo or um, uh, Akan, um, uh, folks out of Angola, the different ethnic groups, 
uh, even from the east uh, side of the continent, the unification was the experience. I, I, I paralleled it um, graphically for a group of kids the other day, saying that you know it was uh, beef and pork and chicken and and the the thing the meat grinder was was the enslavement, the oppression that that experience. And so they they came as distinct people uh with certain some underlying familiarities but still you know eventually um the experience of slavery is what is part of the unification that we all share and we came out on the other end uh some of us were made into sausage some of us you know got made into whoever whatever else but we're all mixed but as we landed in these different geographical regions another level of experience also occurred so that you know those who came from South America those who came from the West Indies or were in the US had had different cultures developed um i hate it when people can only talk about music and food as a contribution i really resent it on one level uh or or maybe uh in terms of religion is as the only three things that they can point to as evidence of uh African influence and presence uh in this hemisphere. You know, it's it's all of it. It's it's everything that our ancestors brought with them. Uh far more than just music and food. Uh those are those are critical. But there there is always this unity and I, I laugh, I will I got a letter from a woman in Baltimore who had been to both of the ceremonies, and she said, I have never in my life uh, experienced a more diverse group of people uh, joined together to honor common ancestors. We have, and I insist on it in terms of our ceremonies, that we will have Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, you name it, all the faith practices who we can uh, convince to to participate in honoring ancestors, we ask that they join in because in every faith practice there are descendants of these Africans who, who, who now on this side practice those faiths. I mean, I I never want these ceremonies to look like they're only exclusive in terms of one culture practice or one faith practice. It's all of us. You know, what it is is that black candle. That's that's our root. You know, we are we are unified people. Um you talk about that the board that we have, it it, it took you know, a year, sometimes convincing people, you know, and then others just jumped right in and went, yes, you know, Vincent Harding, you know, at 80-some at years old says, I'm ready to roll. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been that kind of, of, of support uh, that this project has gotten, that, that's gotten it this far with basically, you know, no funding, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it is it is 
the descendant community. And I think that's really, you know, the way it ought to be. I mean, I would like people, if you don't mind, I'd like to give them the website. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, please, yeah. And okay. also, I uh, want to mention that, that you're accepting donations. Uh, yeah, we are. For the project. And we're tax-exempt, so if you do that, you know, we'll give you a, a nice letter and, uh, you know, you can you can support us that way. Um, so it's www.middlepassageproject.org. And you can go online and see videos that people have submitted, uh, pictures that people have submitted who have participated. Um, it's it's been it, it it's it's wonderful for me, uh, just personally. It's it really is a fulfillment, and I'm looking forward to Virginia and Florida and all the other states where uh, we'll be operating. And my fantasy is to go to the West Indies for a whole year and just island hop. And, and oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, oh <laughs> you know, that's going to be my payoff. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is really, um, and um, Baba Chebe, um, I know you're in the studio, I'll be right with you. Um, I uh, I just think it's so cool because by marking these ports, you're really um, reconnecting our community because, you know, we talk about reparations is repairing the rift, right? right? So if you go to all these ports where our folks came in and it's, you know, different nations, you know, different, you know, uh, ethnicities were coming in on the ship. So that, you know, you honor all of the different traditions of those particular regions, equally, that is, that's going to be so wonderful once you've made the 360. I'm like, yeah. Oh, and yeah, and then hopefully, you know, you mentioned video and it would be great if maybe you could do a series like, the Africans in America series that the brother pulled together many years ago. That was so wonderful. Uh, pulled together a series that sort of looks at these different regions and the history and the people and all that kind of stuff. That'd be so enlightening. Well, we're hoping that we community. can do something, you know, with the Smithsonian, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they've got the resources. Um Yeah. You know, well, and to, you're so connected. And, you got people on the board for the African American Museum that's going to be I think right. it's coming up. Is it next year? Yeah, uh, the year yeah, after. 15, yeah, 15, next yeah. year. Yeah, fourteen. So yeah, fourteen. Yeah, so the year after next year, like whatever you want, I'm sure they're saying, okay, and you can have it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> oh, yeah, I would. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, Wanda, thank you so much for for you know letting us you know talk about this project and and like I said, I I thought it was just wonderful uh, that it was going to be on the first day of, of Kwanzaa. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, you know, I, I have to I have to stick around. I was going to be on the road today, but I said no. I told my family, I said no, I'll, I'll be here in Florida for one more day. Because I, I got this important uh, interview, you know, to to do, and and it is it's important work, and and to spread the word, uh, people can email us, and I'm real prompt about responding because it's the work I love. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, you are so very much. prompt. Yeah, and and I hope I hope this show um, you know reaches a lot of audiences that might not have heard um, you know our interview uh, a few months ago. And uh, send you some money as a year-end tax write-off. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, safe travels. 
Thank you, and Happy All New right. Year. Okay, Happy New Year. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, Baba Chebe, Hopkins, how are you? Fine, fine. Can you hear me okay? I can't. I didn't get a bio on you, so I'll just say what I know, and then you can fill us in. <laughs> I know that you um, you run uh, support groups for young people at the mentoring center, and you um, you are a mentor of a lot of young people, and you're just such an anchor in our community here in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically in Oakland. Um, I know that you're a father, and uh, and you're also a martial artist, and and recently I found out that I saw that you you do magic tricks, but not the kind that people are aware of. I hope you do something like that as a Kwanzaa <laughs> that the elders are um, are, are hosting because uh, that, that would be so cool because it's really transformative magic, you know, and I like magic. Um, let's see, what else do I know? Um, I know you have, uh, I think you're the eldest and, of, of, uh, in your family, and I know you have other brothers, and I've met some of them, and sisters, I think. No, actually, I'm the fourth and fourth of eleven. Oh my God! For real, is eleven of y'all? Oh my goodness! Yes, and that is wow. just you know so. So I'm, and also I, you know, um, my role at the mentoring center is uh, I'm the director of youth services, but I work with an extremely dynamic team, and I think that that's mm-hmm. the most important important uh, aspect. And uh, you know, a couple of those brothers who who. Uh, who work on the team came out of institutions, and they are the most dynamic brothers that I have run into uh, in years. Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, it's just a beautiful thing to have, you know, have stuck with them over 25 years. Or so, so it's, uh, and then with also with Kelsa, um, Sister Kelsa, who is executive director, just a dynamic person. So I'm just one cog in the wheel. Yeah, but you're a big cog in the wheel. So 20, you've been at the Mentoring Center for 25 years. No, no, I've only been there for uh, oh. 10 years. 10 years? Oh, my. Yeah, the Mentor Center is such a wonderful um, organization. Um, yeah, you all do such great work with, with youth, particularly um, going into the prison system that, you know, has our young people in large numbers here in California and, and help doing some real transformational kind of work with them. That's really, really wonderful so that they stay out. And then also you do work with the youth who are not incarcerated to keep them from being incarcerated. Um, can you talk a little bit about the work that you do with young people and um, and and sort of what brought you to that work? Well, I, I can say that what brought me to the work, I think, uh, you know, I started in high school uh, a lot of years ago, <laughs> and uh, you know, with with the peer counseling kind of thing, it was it wasn't called peer counseling, it was called. Uh, please help me with what I'm going through <laughs> at the time. Um, and I think that, you know, being from a large family, you know, you are always in a position to, you know, to try to assist your siblings and, and folks around you. Uh, so I think I kind of, you know, it was kind of a talent of mine just to, to help individuals as much as possible to solve their problems uh, and, and try to work on my own problems, of which I had many. Um and I think that it it uh, it, uh, it kind of grew into a um, a calling because I've uh, with all of the, um, the 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 jobs that I've had and all of the the skills that I've built, I, I kind of keep getting pulled back to this particular skill, and that is to to work with young folks. 
So I, I think I formally started working with young people in seven, 1972 at, uh, at Berkeley High uh, under uh, Richard Navies, for those who remember um, Brother yeah. Richard Navies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked as first black, black, uh, black studies department on a high school level, I think, in the country. And uh, with uh, Brother McKnight and Brother O.C. Austin and a number of other dynamic brothers who mentored me. And uh, it, it kind of uh, moved from there to, um, you know, to, you know, I always, you know, always worked in the culture. So uh, the performing arts, I think since I was six, uh, my grandmother put me in a uh, limbo class in, I think, 1956. And it, it uh, wasn't really a limbo class. It was a drum class, but you couldn't say that, being a good Christian woman that she was. <laughs> so so I learned how to, you know, how to play. I fell in love, actually, with the, with the, uh, with the drumming. And um, that took me on another path. So it's that mixture of being able to add um, that cultural performing along with um, – with just working with folks, you know, with young folks, you know, made a, a real dynamic combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I just found your bio online. Uh, and, um, yeah, you've been, um, you facilitate a transformative manhood group, which is made up of 15 elders who conduct a weekly multi-ethnic intergenerational critical thinking session for between 10 and 20 youth, 13 to 25 years old. Wow, that sounds really Jim, 
And then yeah, um, sure. yeah, Joe Brooks from uh, Policy Link. Uh, so those are the three three uh, elders on the elder committee. And then everybody else kind of circles around them. You know, Dr. Nobles is one of the one of the elders there, um, mm-hmm. who was also responsible for writing the first curriculum for the mentoring center, and uh, oh. helping uh, Martin Jacks, the founder, to right, um, yeah, wonderful brother. Uh, yes, and so we we stand on his shoulders. He is the one that coined the phrase uh, transformative mentoring and began to develop a philosophy around uh, transformative mentoring. And they actually petitioned the governor to allow them to come in to, to CYA, California Youth Authority, then it's now Department of Juvenile Justice. But they, they really pushed to get in and work with brothers and uh, and prepare them to come back to the city. And um, that was uh, 20 years ago. Wow. So all yeah. of these brothers are connected in the community. they just not come together in this way before, but all of them have been working for years in the community. And this is just such a dynamic effort. It's it's unbelievable sometimes. It's, you know, you feel so good when all these brothers come together in the room. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So tell us about um, what you all have planned for Kwanzaa and maybe talk about that principle and, and you know, why uh, the uh, Council of, of Elders um, decided that this was the, um, the principle you wanted to highlight um, this year during Kwanzaa. Well, we're doing Kuchi Jagalia, which, of course, is self-determination, the idea that we define who we are, we name ourselves, we define what our role is going to be in the community, and that's why this day was important. Um, it, it was important that – and this is the, the group's first Kwanzaa. Okay. So it is uh, – It is. Uh, we didn't want to try to do too much. We wanted to stay within the tradition of Kwanzaa. Uh, our goal overall is to is to live out what Kwanzaa, you know, the meaning of Kwanzaa, and that is that these are principles that we should practice every day. These are mm-hmm. principles that we we um, we make our our commitments and our promises, and then we keep those promises. Uh, and and we're able to look at that at the end of the year as part of our harvest. Did we do what we said that we were going to do? Did we serve the community? Is the community better? based on our, our participation and, and our efforts in the community. So this allows us, Kwanzaa allows us, that uh, again, an opportunity to bring together the community, but to look at our own practices and look at our own principles and values and to, you know, and to, to, um, to critique ourselves and to, and to praise ourselves in some cases. So I think that's why mm-hmm. this is important, important for us. Right. Um, um, what do you have planned? Are you going to do some of your magic? No, <laughs> and I just say that. Well, it is it, so much. Of, it has to be so much about. There's so many brothers with so much talent. I tell you, uh, we could. <laughs> you, I'm, are, you know what? So much talent. I mean, my goodness, this you is, have a theater company. So <laughs> I mean, you're an actor. You're like famous storyteller, gumbo dancer, videographer, acting coach. Yes. You've written person. and directed five full-length plays and written over two hundred one acts. Two hundred one acts. Sketches and skits, and again, you're the founding director of the Bay Area Performing Arts Collective, and you've produced, directed, and collaborated on over 85 productions in the past 25 years. I don't know if anybody can top that. <laughs> well, you know, there are. I'm telling you, there are a lot of folks who are who are doing it in in the in the, in just in Oakland, in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Um, you know, many of of those the pieces that I've done 
were pieces that were used to bring messages and to train young folks in. For instance, mm-hmm. I was working with uh, Babu Stadi over at and Babu Woods at the uh, at the African yeah. Children's Advanced Learning Center. So I was there for a couple mm-hmm. of years, and we did mm-hmm. a piece called "Touched by the Ancestors," and uh, mm-hmm. you know, which we had 40 kids. But what we wanted to do was to teach them about their ancestors in a way that was unique, creative, and fun. And so we put together a, uh, I wrote a play, and uh, it was about two young men who were going to, you know, take out their retribution on the teacher, and they wound up uh, hurting themselves, and the ancestors had to decide whether they were going to stay on earth or whether they were going to pass on. And it was such a dynamic piece. So many of the pieces that I've written and performed you know, are in that vein. So, you know, we kind of feel the need. So I I, I don't see uh, the arts uh, part of culture as being separated from life, you know. Mm-hmm. There's arts in everything we do, like you. <laughs> you know, how many, how, many, how many radio shows, how many, you know, middle passage projects, how many, you know, how much have you done? If you put all that on paper, you just would be giant. You know, you're everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I look, I see you. So I do all these shows, and when I look in the audience, who do I see? You. <laughs> so, you know, ready, ready to do a show on your show several times, and I appreciate it. You know, so the community is huge, but uh, doing the pieces, I mean, I love doing the the, um, the illusions, and we try to tell people that magic is really how you transform somebody and you make them feel good. That's magic itself. Mm-hmm. The illusions really work well with the young folks because they – they can figure these things out, and so we always tell them that they're geniuses. Of course, you can figure it out, but you really got to figure out how to keep your life on track. So that's that's mm-hmm. the motivational piece uh, for that. And uh, so in in Kwanzaa during Kwanzaa, uh, one thing that we will do is um, my son Kale uh, will be. Um, I'm kind of passing on boots to him from the gumboot dance, so he's trained a group. And they're oh, nice. going to present for the first time uh, at, at Kwanzaa, so that's going to be real exciting. I'm excited about, you know, seeing, you know, passing on that tradition to him because uh, mm-hmm. the knees yeah. are getting a little South old. African yeah. dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, I, so, so mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm sorry. I was I, I was going to say I forgot that Kayla was your son, and then when he told me, it's like, oh, the championship dance. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I didn't know that he was your son. It's like, oh my god, because you know he teaches drumming. He just, he's an actor too, so creative, yes, and has yes. a wonderful life. He is so phenomenal. Yes. yes, and I think that that's there's so many in the community. There are so many brothers, even in our elder group, whose children are doing what what you know that we've passed on the tradition. And so I don't mm-hmm. believe that tradition is just something that you you do but it's something that you have to pass on and then the next generation practices it. And that's when it becomes tradition. Otherwise it's a cultural, you know, I mean, a, a, a ritual or a custom, but when the next generation begins to do it, and that's what we're, we're seeing now, these young, bro- young brothers and sisters who are taking up the mantle and who are really doing it. And that is, I think the job that we're supposed to be doing now as elders is passing on, as Dr. Noble says, you know, uh, the wisdom and the wealth and, 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 you know, everything that we know that's, that's our task now. And uh, so, so we, you know, we're going to step back and um, you know, Kwanzaa is, is what it is. The, the tradition of Kwanzaa is, is to be practiced by 
by um, you know the next generation the fruit you know of our of our labor and, and uh, our lives and and they'll take it on and it's going to be a beautiful thing so we're going to do the traditional Kwanzaa and then we're going to add a few um, cultural arts pieces uh, that will um, be good but most of all we want to um, we want to fellowship and we want to network and we want to you know we want to see our folks that we don't get to see all year you know mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and um, and so um, the Brotherhood of Elders is going to be hosting um, Kuchishagalia tomorrow, December 27th, uh, 7 o'clock, 7 to 9, at the Malanga Castellor Center for the Arts, which is 1428 Alice Street in Oakland. And it's a potluck. Uh, people are requested to not bring any pork or beef items. Um, vegan always works. And um, and then there was um, um, Mr. Um, Fanya is coordinating the food part, and I don't see my my uh, press release with her phone number on it. But if people just sort of stay within those guidelines and maybe bring ingredients printed on the card, that would probably be fine. Um, oh, they I can also, call me um, as well. Oh, okay, if, sure. If they want to call that. my number, yeah, they can. They can call me, and I can, uh, I can, um, you know, I can relay the message to Fanya, or I can give them Fanya's number, because uh, it's real important okay. that we coordinate the food. Okay, so why don't you give your number? Okay, it is five one zero nine seven eight zero five one zero. That's five one zero nine seven eight zero five one zero. Yeah, and um, so the the feast is called the Karamu, right? Correct. Yeah, and um, uh, people can shop in their Kiswahili skills, and um, people right. usually dress. <laughs> dress in African attire. And uh, Kwanzaa is a is a commemoration and a celebration for people of African descent. Um, and I know um, this particular um, celebration that. The um, the uh, Brotherhood of Elders uh, is participating in that is is for African people. Is that correct? It is. Um, we we you know as things move and change, we have uh, we always have to deal with the fact that that many families are becoming blended. Um, that's that's one thing. So it is uh, you know for people who know the history of Kwanzaa, you know are our dilemma is that in many cases we are not, you know, in a position to really have celebrations that that really are about us and for us, and um, and so it is, it you know, it becomes important that we have those, and you know, and then then we have the phenomenon now of the very blended families and and and, and our ethnicities being blended. So, uh, and and the fact that sometimes we have these in public places, and whenever we have a, a Kwanzaa in a public place, um, because Malanga. Center is run by the Parks and Recs, so you know we're not able to close the doors and say you know it's just a private affair. So we have those things to think about, and um, but we, you know, the idea that we we have some some celebrations that are for us and and that that uh, you know speak to who we are, the essence of who we are becomes real important, and that when we keep that as much as possible. Right. Yeah. And um, reading a little bit more of your bio. Um, uh, 2011, um, the city of Oakland uh, honored you with a humanitarian award. 
uh, and says that your father and a grandfather has raised seven children as well as assisted in the rearing of several nieces and nephews, and you've been a social father as we've been talking about mentoring for the children and young adults throughout San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley. And um, and so um, you certainly earned that title, Baba, with his father and Keith Wahili. Um, you were raised in San Francisco. Were you born in San Francisco as well? I was. I was born at San Francisco General Hospital. Oh, uh, I'm definitely a native here. (laughs) Right, right, yeah, yeah. And then I was just thinking when you were talking about, um, you know, magic uh, and delusions and transformation, and I was just thinking how your art practice is sort of reflected in um, in your work you know, transforming lives. I mean, even even the semantics around the work you do, you know, illusions, transformation, you know, critical thinking, which is, you know, really important in, you know, unpacking uh, information. You know, sometimes we think something is what it is, and then when we analyze, it's like, no, they really, this is what they're saying. Oh, my goodness. But we, you know, we make assumptions a lot of times about, about what we, we think we're hearing and then until we, like, just hear it and then go back and reflect on it. You are so right, and I get reminded that, you know, all the time when I'm here at home uh, with my well, my lady. reminds me I'm not uh-huh. listening. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have to transform myself consistently. But, you know, when, when, uh, you know, when we work with these young folks and you you can look in their eyes and you can see a light come on, it is the most rewarding um, thing that that happens to you. You know, it is so rewarding when they get it. You know, and sometimes we'll just we teach around the brain how the brain works. And so many people initially were critical and said that you know why are we going there? Uh, you know, they're not really interested in that. But uh, when they get it and, and they really understand how their brain works and how they work their brain, they begin to transform. It is, uh, it is, it's, it's, it's something to witness, and it can happen. So, there are many young folks that um, who have kind of, you know, turned on uh, to the fact mm-hmm. that they can do things besides, you know, the small window of, of skills that they've built. Many the skills that are illegal, uh, and they they realize that they're in this game, and they can they can win this, you know. So, it is a it is a, it's fascinating. So. I want to be. I'm selfish a little bit because I want that, you know. So that really works for everybody, and um, mm-hmm. and the the uh, we are so the community is so full of pain, you know. For every um, every person who loses their life out here, there's a hundred people tied to them, and so we are we are, you know, we are we are in such pain and turmoil and trauma. Uh, so there is a. I have an anger management group, and. Uh, uh, you know, one of the most dynamic things that we can do is begin to teach people how to, you know, how to come up out of their anger, and uh, and and how to really control and manage that that emotion. Yeah. Um. Can you tell us? Um. Maybe give us maybe a couple of tools because, um, you know, as as the year ends, you know, this twelve month cycle, you know, we're in a new beginning. We have a a new uh, Mayan calendar. Um, we're getting ready to step into the 150th anniversary of, of uh, Lincoln signing 
the Emancipation Proclamation into law, which is, you know, sort of, and that can make you angry thinking about our ancestors, uh, what they endured, and 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 the thanklessness of, of Western culture for our building their wealth and then, you know, our, you know, dearth of wealth <laughs> in the in the process right. that we're building wealth for others and we have no wealth and and then right. you know there's no compassion. Um, Right. Yeah, and that could make you angry. So I wonder if you could maybe give us some tools on how um, how one, you know, lets go um, and uh, uh, or how you know how one manages this because there are a lot of angry people and there the trauma is uh, is just ongoing. Um, you know, when one lives in a society where there's racism and there are all these other isms and there's you know the structural kind of boundaries that keep certain people like black people being able to move like they want to move, particularly if you're, you know, certain gender like men and boys who seem to be targeted. You know, you're so right. And it is, uh, so I got into this because I, I, um, I was told consistently that I had a lot of anger. And so I was in denial about that. And, um, uh, you know, so that's why I began to really research my own anger. And there's a, you know, a couple of things I've found out, and one is that it's a protracted process. Uh, it is, um, it is, it is. You know, anger is an, an emotion. Um, you can't get rid of it. You know, it's like love. It's like like any other emotion. Um, so you have to begin to learn to learn to manage it. So the first step, of course, is to learn what it is and how it works on us. And uh, the next step is to really look at what our stressors are. You know, so some of the things that you were mentioning, like last night I was, I think BET is replaying Roots. I was angry all over again. <laughs> so, you know, I had, to, I had to say to myself, well, maybe I should get up and take a break because, you know, so some of our stress, I'm telling you, you know, just watching that piece. And, you know, not only that piece, but just understanding what uh, Alex Haley went through in the writing of the piece, you know. Um, and so, you know, understanding that that's a stressor, and understanding what our stressors are is is a big step. And once you understand what your stressors are, then you really look at at what um, what uh, strategies that you can put in place to reduce those stressors. And in in, in many cases, uh, our anger is is pointed at in the wrong direction. So they may be pointed at a spouse or a girlfriend or a brother or sister uh, or an individual that steps on our shoe. Uh, but being aware that you are triggered in that way becomes important. So the biggest step is, is awareness. And and the next step is to have a place that you can practice um, unpacking this. So with the Brotherhood of Elders, uh, we do workshops. Uh, the last workshop we did was a relationship workshop. And in that workshop, these issues come up. And what we really had to look at, and we had to ask the question, where do we get the opportunity to practice even if it's that you practice uh, responding to someone, you may respond in a way that might not even be uh, verbal. It may be just your facial expression, and that may be, you know, may be a trigger for the person that you're in a relationship with or the person who is looking at you. And so, how do you control your facial expressions? It becomes, you know, an issue that you have to practice. So, awareness first, uh, practice second and really look at what's going to work for you in particular because we're all individuals, so different strategies work for different people. So it's a complicated process, but it's a process that's totally doable 
and, and totally workable, and it's something I think we all must do because, you know, we're in a very stressful environment consistently. You know, we have all of these microaggressions that we go through consistently, whether it's being followed in the store or people holding on to their purses tighter when you come around or, you know, you can feel, as a black man, I can feel the uneasiness when I come into a room um, and or I walk from uh, from Broadway to the Malanga and I practice speaking to people. And it's incredible because uh, the response that I get sometimes, you know, I want to almost get angry because people will, you know, they'll, they'll, the, the response is just, it's, it's, it's really underwhelming. So there's, there's all these things that we go through. And so it, I think it becomes important to understand that you have to debrief in some cases, you have to decompress on a daily basis. Sometimes it's meditation that you might want to get into just to, you know, to kind of bring yourself back. So there is, you know, uh, the idea is to find a good workshop or a good person that you can sit down and go over these things with, and then figure out how to how to practice decompressing. Mm -hmm. Right, decompressing. Uh, so scientific science. I'm sorry, say again. <laughs> so thank you. I said it sounds so scientific. Decompressing. You know, one thinks about, but then if you think about anger as, you know, sort of like a fire that's filling our spirit and that it can yes. explode, which a lot of times there are explosions when one is mad that's right. versus angry. Yeah, um, the whole idea of decompressing, that, that sort of takes on a new kind of um, meaning. Yeah, I, I don't know if you had, uh, in the old days, my grandmother used to cook and she had the pressure cooker. Did you Did you have a pressure cooker? I saw them in, in, in the kitchen. I was always afraid yeah. of them because if you mess up, you could explode. That's right. That's like, what it's like. If you, don't, if you didn't turn the top right, like when you close it, and, and, right. and it got to boiling inside, and it could just pop up. And I, and right. so I was always afraid of those things. So I'm real happy my and mother it, didn't own one. But they were in, play, they it, were in houses that we visited. <laughs> right. And, and then you had the, you know, the, the uh, relief valve on the top, so it would whistle. Mm -hmm. And that yep. is the decompression that you begin to let some of that off, so it doesn't explode. You have to let the pressure off. So that's kind of mm -hmm. the example. We're 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 pressure cookers walking around, you know. Yeah, and, and then you think about pressure cookers are also used for canning. So then you've got the right. jars with the jellies and the vegetables right. in there cooking. So what's that metaphor? The the jars inside the pressure cooker. What's that? Whoo. <laughs> Well, it actually the jars inside the pressure cooker were to uh, to um, it was more of a, for in our house because we we also my grandmother canned we had plum trees in the backyard in San Francisco and she uh, she canned and she would put them in there in the beginning to um, to sterilize them you know so they were put in there in the beginning uh, but after they were done after you know it's almost like I don't know if you if you try to open a a, a uh, a bottle and you have to hit it on the bottom. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're you're depressurizing it, right? You're moving all the oxygen to the top. And so, mm -hmm. you know, so really what you're doing is you're moving, you know, you're moving that energy around. And that becomes very important too, you know. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, like I see young brothers working with Takuma King, you know Takuma. Right. Oh, yeah, and yeah. His uh, son drummer is really wonderful. Yes, son drummer at the Malanga. 
Yeah. Matter of fact, they'll they'll be playing at the Kwanzaa too. <laughs> oh, super, but, super! They're fabulous. Yeah, they are, and so some of these young brothers that come in with a lot of anger and what have you, uh, once they start to drum, they it it moves that energy around. They're able to transfer that to the drum. They can hit that drum as hard as they want to. <laughs> they can find themselves in unity with other drummers, and so that's kind of like you know for them it becomes a strategy to really. Um, really diffuse that anger and that energy. So that's that's uh you know, some of the you know, there those cultural outlets as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um so I was thinking that maybe the jars could maybe they might be our uh our relationships because when you're talking about releasing the pressure and moving the energy around. Yes, that's a good analogy. <laughs> that is a good analogy. <laughs> I might have to use that one. <laughs> wow. See how we learn from each other? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, all those plays you've written, I mean, you probably think really well on your feet. And um, I think I, one of your favorite, um, one of my favorite uh, roles I've seen you in um, was uh, in Equinox. I just loved loved you in that movie just because of your character. Um, he was just, just simply phenomenal. Um yeah, it was really, really great. That was a it was a it was a it was a great experience working with Bayan Bakari on that movie. Uh, but the idea of of uh, having to be a handicapped brother who uh, was uh, being abused by his wife um, kind of stretched the um, you know stretched my skills. And so it was um, it was even just just uh, get an idea of how to manipulate a wheelchair. You know, so those are some things that we don't think about, you know, brothers and sisters who are wheelchair-bound and who are, you know, facing abuse, physical abuse. And it was a it was a real eye-opener to, to play that role. What I would like um, to do, can I invite people to, to come to um, our, the next flight? Which will be where we are. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do the Yellow Brick Road again. Oh, the one that I I need to find the uh, DVD for. Yeah. Oh, that's super. Okay. Yes, we're going to do it February sixteenth uh, and seventeenth. And mm-hmm. so uh, okay. this is a, um, a piece that's written by uh, my daughter and I um, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, we, what we wanted to do was do something that was kind of familiar to people. We wanted to do something that was you know, would would really aimed at at our young folks. And it's about um two young folks who are in today's world who are looking to escape um their issues and so they, they of course are going to a place that they've heard about but that nobody believes in and meet a number of interesting characters to help them to kind of transform their lives. So uh come on out everyone on the fifteenth and sixteenth, uh, Saturday, uh, Saturday and Sunday of, of February. And um, and support us in the Yellow Brick Road. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be at the Malaga Center as well? It is, yes. Okay, yeah, I know most of your plays are there. I was just checking. Yeah, I love that theater. Yeah, it's really wonderful. And so, um, so tomorrow for Kujishagalia, the uh, the Brotherhood of Elders is hosting uh, the Kwanzaa celebration. It's going to be at seven o'clock. All of the um, Kwanzaa celebrations um, that are part of the, uh, um, the Seattle. What's the network called that um, 
Oh, yeah, the Bay Area Committee, sorry. <laughs> they all start at 7, whether that's in uh, East Palo Alto or, or Oakland. Um, they all happen at 7 o'clock, which makes it easy to remember. Yes. So that's just tomorrow. Add, mm-hmm, yeah, can I add also that it's co-sponsored, uh, we're, we're co-sponsoring it with the uh, Bay Area Association of Black Psychologists and, and with the Mentoring Center, so we're all co-sponsoring it. Right, right, yes, that's going to be really wonderful. But thank you so much. I'm looking forward to um, to seeing you tomorrow, actually probably seeing you tonight for Emoja, um, which actually, oh, I was wrong about that 7 o'clock thing, sorry. Uh, tonight, <laughs> Emoja is hosted by Wose Community House of Laman Ra, and that's going to be at the Holy Redeemer Center, 8945 Golf Links Road in Oakland. And phone numbers are 510 510- Six three two eight two three zero six three two eight two three zero and five one zero six five four two six two zero five one zero six five four two six two zero and um, so that's at six six o'clock. So I was wrong. So you probably need to check and make sure that the times are seven for the other date. Um, so we usually greet each other um, Abari Ghani during Kwanzaa. What's the news? And then you respond with. The, um, the principle of the day. Yeah. So, Habari Ghani. Umoja. <laughs> ah, cool. Will you take good care and looking forward to seeing you this um, celebration of First Fruit 2012. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're Thanks welcome. Thanks for having me. Peace and blessings. Oh, you're welcome. Peace and blessings. So we are waiting for our next guest to join us. Um again with um uh Adimu Majun, um Kari Shells and so I think we'll play the rest of that while I see um if I can get him into the studio.
the wonderful um, program that the sister uh, Adrian has been hosting for, I think, seven years this year, the Village Project. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yeah. I've been doing it now. So it, was it at 10.30 or is it at 11.30? Well, you know, we, no, it's um, it's 10.30, but um, did I put 11.30? Oh, my goodness. No, it's 10.30. But that's okay. Um, I'm trying to, like, find Ademu. He's supposed to be joining us, but it's not working out. But I can have him on on Friday. We can, we can, okay. um, we can work this out. So, hey, stay on the air. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to hear from you, um, Malik uh, Sineferu, wonderful uh, mover and shaker uh, in a good way throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, but really, you know, Bayview Hunters Point is just really blessed to have you do some work there with youth and teaching art, and you're actually going to be hosting a series of workshops uh, at the uh, San Leandro um, yes. Main Library. I, I picked up a flyer about maybe two weeks ago, and uh, right. tell us about that. Uh, that that looks really exciting. Well, you know, uh, you know, in the in the honor of my elders and ancestors, I first want to thank you for uh, this moment in time, which is a great moment that makes uh, so much of a difference in what you've been doing over the years, and I've been following you, and you've been a great, inspiring uh, journalist and what you do, especially with the Bayview uh, newspaper. And so uh, I'm just honored that I can, we could have this time together, even though we know each other like the back of our hand. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks <laughs> to ancestors uh, in the, and in the name of unity, because that's what our mind state is on today, is unity and bringing yeah, up Yeah, Larry Ghani. <laughs> Umoja. Indeed, and so that's yeah. the energy that we I know that uh, today we're going to be having our first event at the uh, at, at the rotunda in San Francisco City Hall, where it always begins. Uh, we do things like the libation, and we uh, what I often do is I honor the elders. And so uh, today we ask that you guys come out and celebrate with us so that you can learn more of what is actually going to happen. But uh, what I try to do is try to keep the mind of unity uh, on, on the audience so that we don't uh, get, uh, you know, kind of wandered around and say, well, I'm going to go to the Nia one. You know, I, I want to try to keep, <laughs> you, know, you know, let's come to unity first and then we can go to the next stuff, you know. So today is going to be a really great uh uh, event that we're going to be doing is two events, but the opening event is going to be at the city hall today, which is supposedly at noon, I believe. And right. uh, so I'm I'm packing my goods and and getting ready for the good time. Yeah. So what's what's in your bag? Well, <laughs> a surprise, but no, but uh, the uh, thing <laughs> is, bring something new. I try to bring something for my altar. I bring, of course, a piece of artwork that I've created uh, and uh, a couple of magnets, <laughs> a couple of things, <laughs> a little bit of zawadi, some gifts for uh, those uh, who are there and um, I can be able to contact with. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be a really great event. 
Uh, we're going to have some uh, drummers and, of course, the pouring of libation, my favorite part. And uh, Brother Clint Sockwell, he is actually the brother who co-hosts or uh, co-leads uh, uh, the event with me. And uh, he's my big brother yeah. in, uh, in culture. And uh, we, we try to, uh, you know, play off of one another. Sometimes we see each other and we see what what uh, energy we both were coming with. And me, always try to come with the um, vibration that our young youth need as well as our people need. And uh, Brother Clint has a really great way that he caters to everyone that is at the event. And so, you know, we try to... Uh, play both sides of it so that people can get some authenticity and some uh, hospitality at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And um, so back to my first question, we'll come, we'll come back to Omoja. So yeah. at the Family Andrew Library, um, you are going to be hosting uh, a workshop because they're doing some, I forgot the details of it. So could you tell us? Because um, it's really exciting because you're, like, starting it out, but then it's going to sort of yeah. go other activities. Well, you know, the name of the event is called the Eye of Zora. And, uh, Zora this and is, I heard it, yeah. Yeah, so we're doing a series of um, uh, classes that are based around Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. And so... Oh, so, or her eyes were watching God, is what I like to say. So what, uh, what we're doing is actually the, we're going to be doing an unveiling. I'll be doing an unveiling of a painting that I, I'm working on of Zora Neale Hurston on the 19th of, Je- of February. And I believe it was the 19th of February, somewhere around that. I don't have the dates in front of me. But uh, what, uh, who will also be there is Zora Neale Hurston's niece. Who will, who also uh, just uh, released a book uh, speaking a little deeper about the relationship that the family has had with Zora and before the Zora Neale's uh, passing. Passing, and so um, it's going to be a quite uh, interesting. I, I was already told that we got close to 30 youth that have signed up for it, so it looks like the youth are pumped up about it, which I'm really excited about as well. But it's going to be a really great event. The youth are also going to be presenting their artwork that they did during the art class on that day in February. And uh, it's going to be a really good uh, event for us to uh, continue practicing this concept of unity, uh, how we bring one another together. Right, yeah. Well, we've been just joining the studio because we're doing some impromptu stuff. Uh, Good morning, Adima. How are you guys? <laughs> and um, brother, what's and the news? Clint, have I done it? Yes, that's the question. I know everybody must know that by now that you're supposed to greet people with Habari Ghani just to keep them on their toes, you know what I mean? Right. What's the news today? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Habari Ghani, brother Clint. Hey, Moja, man. That's right. Unity. And, Unity is and you uh, probably. And you know um, Adibu, right? I know who? Yes. Adibu. 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 Oh, he's gone. Adibu. Oh, he just left. Uh, maybe. Yeah, well, 
Hawk Jaguar, uh, Adimu, um, he's, uh, he does um, music sort of celebrating the Orisha. And oh, yeah. He's got a concert. Uh, yeah, but he we just lost Brother, him. Does he uh, mm-hmm. celebrate Kwanzaa? He he's, he celebrates. Uh, I believe he celebrates African culture. I, I don't know for sure, but I know that the brother. If you hear his music, you would know that he's definitely in that angle. Of, you know, he does. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I yeah. think uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Karanga when he uh, patterned Kwanzaa from the Kawaida, he was intending to, you know, connect all of those uh, cultural uh, coolnesses, I guess, into, you know, our holiday here in America. You know, it's obviously a bite from uh, Africa with African language and the uh, consistency with the harvest festivals that are going on right now on the continent. And, uh, you know, I think it it was intentional, definitely. So whoever the brother is that you're talking about, I definitely need to check him out so that I can, you know, know a little bit more about myself. For you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I got a CD for you so you can share it. You have a CD? Yes, I have yeah. a CD. So oh, I'll you hook me up, man. And, and, and also, you know, the, the key uh, deal of, of just the concept of unity is just that we – are right now in the position where we are uh, have just had our ascension sun, you know. So this is how we ascend through unity, actually. And so this is a really great time that we're on. We're also uh, on the 100th year of the so-called uh, Emancipation Proclamation, which is uh, oh, 150th year. And uh, yeah, so that's, it's part of that's the interesting. things that are coming in regard to this and so it's going to be interesting you know it's interesting too that uh, Dr. Karenga uh, founded Kwanzaa during the midst of the uh, civil rights movement which was right. about a uh, hundred years after slavery had ended so yeah. a century after slavery had ended Dr. Karenga felt that he uh could be helpful in creating a blueprint or a uh, ritual or a celebration that black people could all kind of lock onto and straighten out all of the problems that we're having in the community. Now, this was at the height of the civil rights movement. So here we are 50 years later, and still (laughs) hardly anything has changed since he brought the holiday about. And a lot of you know, black people still don't know what Kwanzaa is, and that's why it's so important that we uh, spread Kwanzaa this week all over the San Francisco anyway, you know. Well, you're absolutely right about that, Brother Clint. I think the major thing that people need to understand in practicing Kwanzaa that it is not African culture. It's a precursor to African culture. This is not you know, African culture in its totality unless you go to Africa and learn the different uh, aspects. But this is just something that we practice here in the States so that we can come back in connection to our heritage. Exactly. It's a welcome culture. A welcome culture. Sometimes as Africans, they they ask Africans, they say, do you celebrate Kwanzaa? And a lot of Africans be like, what? You know, but then you would expect that to be the case since, Kwanzaa is a uh, uniquely African American um, celebration right. and creation, you know. Um, 
So yeah. I think That's, that this week is going to be okay. Wait, wait, wait a second. Um, I'm not certain if this if a demo has called me back and I'm using another number or if this is Aya Daly and Zinga, but somebody's oh. in the studio. Hopefully she is. <laughs> it's Aya Daly. Oh, greetings, Aya Daly. Aya Daly. Greetings, brother. Sister. No, sister. Sister sister just came on the line. Word, word slinger, yes. Oh, blessings. Yeah, well, so I wanted to Good morning. So I just wanted, I, we, we sort of shifted because um, uh, Adima was having trouble getting into the studio. So, oh. so now we're, so we're, so we're like all talking at the same time about Kwanzaa. <laughs> But I've been playing uh, <laughs> the music uh, for for um, you know from Will Paul to Jaguar and talking about the the, uh, the upcoming concert. So I wanted you to join in the discussion and, and talk about your work and um, and the concert that's coming up, and then we can have you on again maybe Friday, you and Adina. Okay. 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 It sounds right. wonderful. Yeah. Um, so. so, so yeah, so why don't you talk a little bit about Umoja, Hubarigani, by the way. Hubarigani, <laughs> Hubarigani. Uh, Umoja. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Umoja. Um, it is, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, the conversation about Karanga and, and African, Africanisms and, right. the work that, and the work that I do and the work that Adimu does because, it is all potentially. I call my work memory work. I've been called to remember. I um I I, I um am, am responsible for telling the story. Demo's work, especially in is especially in Jaguar, and the work in the poetry goes back to the the source. Of, of many American Um The culture of Ifa has has traveled to America with us, like the stories of the Nazi, the travels to America with us. And so it's root work. Once again, memory, memory work, root work, you know. And in terms of intersecting with Karanga's work, you know, a lot of people, I, heard, I read on Instagram some of the day, they, they didn't uh, follow Karanga uh, because the holiday was invented in their life. Do you, do you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it makes it really hard to understand what you're saying, and, and what you're saying is, uh, oh, now I'm acting. Oh, now I'm Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Ooh, all Technology. Uh, I think it was, I think, yeah, I think uh, we're not echoing anymore. Oh, we lost. 
She's not there anymore? But here's Aya. Here's Aya. Yeah. So I just, but his eyes are still echoing. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing echoes. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, unity of thought is, is where I was moving towards um, in memory work and the work that's encompassed in Wolfhawk Jaguar's work, which it encapsulates um, African animist religion and how appropriate all that is for this time of year especially after the world didn't end on the 21st. And uh-huh. as, we, as we supposedly enter this new this new era, I think that yeah. the poetry very nicely sets the tone for this new era. Yeah. So, so tell us about um, when when is the performance? It's this weekend, right? It's this Friday, the 29th. At okay. Floyd Fellows Fifty Seventh Street Gallery. Doors mm-hmm. open at eight and we'll be there to eleven. Right. That's gonna really be awesome. And and you are a poet known as Wordslinger. You're also the founder of the um the Shakespeare in the Yard Lower Bottom Players in West Oakland, um, where you have the Thea Bowman Theater. You have just completed do you have your PhD or you've just completed the work? Hi, I'm Dr. Nzinga. I've been Dr. Nzinga for a while. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Dr. Nzinga. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. And um, I know you all just finished the Love Bomb Fly Project, which is just really wonderful work, transformative work, sort of, um, you know, looking at sort of the violence and, and you know, from the perpetrators and from the victims and sort of, creating ritual theater around healing that, and you're, you're just so great with that kind of work. Well, it's, it's, that's why I resonate so much with the Hunter Poetry Project. It's all uh, forms of restorative justice. And so um, the work that Wolfhawk Jaguar does, I think it seeks to give you back your foundation, your beginning, to connect you with um, your, your, your higher essence, we move here in North America on a very base plane. Um, very, we're very animalistic in nature. We're we're at a survival mode here. So, hunter poetry, by contrast, offers you abundance. It offers you back the riches of self. So, just like Love Bomb was restored to justice work, the cleanse, warrior spirit, hunter poetry. Is a different type of restorative justice. It seeks you to give you back yourself, to give you back the, the wealth that belongs to you, your foundation, the ground that you stand on. So it's like I, I do work of a certain ilk. It's all the same kind of work. If I were to give it a title, it would be called Get Free Work, you know. So in the lower, at the Lower Bottom Players, we, as a troop, we try to tell stories. Wolfhog Jaguar is a storyteller, too. His stories are, are really old stories, again, foundational stories. And on top of that, the music slaps. It just it goes. It makes you happy. The um the the mixture of American music, hip hop, 
and traditional African rhythms is is wonderful. It helps your your spirit understand where what is connected to and where it begins. It sounds like you got a moving furniture over there. So yeah, in the absence of knowing what's happening, I invite everybody to come out to Floyd Fellows, 57th Street Gallery, to see Warrior Spirit Experience, the Twins. Okay, to see Wolfhawk Jaguar, me, Wordslinger, the Addict, and our old, um, I can't remember his last name, our old Onolu. It is going to be a fantastic experience. Tickets are really, really reasonably priced. Gates open at eight o'clock, and we hope you join us. Yeah, can you can you share a poem with us? We we uh, I've been playing parts of Kyrie shells. I love that, and there's like dances to go with some of these pieces. And um, I'm also going to play a uh, few uh, exit and prayer for continent. Um, not prayer for continent. Is that that one? Uh, no, no, no. Um, yeah, um, a little bit later on. So I was wondering if uh, you could maybe share a poem with us, because you've got your poetry is a part of the uh, the Wolf Hawk Jaguar um, compilation. Yes, yes. Here we go. Okay, I got one for you. Um, and, okay. then, and this is one that I'll be doing live on uh, Friday night, Saturday night on the 29th, if people want to come through. This is called okay. Unnaturalized. I'm an American because somebody stole an ancestor, maybe by the river or coming from market alone without thinking. Then in the bush, lie another reality across the water in another paradigm, upside down, disconnected and twisted. I sit in America, an African who has never seen Africa. I come from wealth, gold and diamonds in the ground, natural, like the contempt on the face of oppressors, afraid of uprisings and sudden understandings, committed to the accumulation of the material, like addicts adding to the sins of the Father, abandoned by the gods they have abandoned, burning America slowly as Nero's solo is remixed. I fight to remember things that would be easier to forget, that I am one with water and dirt, worth worth no more than the earth beneath my feet. I am stardust and God's tears, my heartbeat, my first drum, head to the sky, singing underwater, trying to get by in a land with a shadow that's so hard, I don't know if I can lift it, burning the dreams scattered on the floor, but maybe that's all right, because I don't know if I can afford to believe them anymore, no boots to pull up on a drift like the jobs that flow offshore, third world American African who can't go home again, too much blood on the path. For me, there really is no return. Someone stole Africa, corrupted it, parceled it, colonized, subverted it. They have privatized my sorrow, severed my roots, and colorized my dreams of home. I am ever outside, forced to build without a blueprint, write new myths, because blood ran on the old ones. Praise the old ones. Somebody save the young ones. Are we the ones? Because we so need someone. And I was really... I waited for someone to come, and then I decided I would be someone. Are we the ones? Sometimes at night I search the sky, fighting to remember what would be easier to forget. Dreams of thunder, God's reconstruct pyramids, hopeful rain and strong children, chariots swinging low, 
such an Eden deep inside, still African, thinking one day I'd like to be back home again with the dust beneath my feet and my thoughts of the ocean. An African who had never seen Africa, dreaming of cock's feathers and cowries, fighting to remember. Adimu, welcome. Safari oh, done again. <laughs> uh, Nazuri Sana. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, super. Wow, Ayo, that was great. That was really great. We're sort of trying to handle this technology here. Hey, Brother Clint, how are you again? You know, Sister, I'm actually so blessed, you know, uh, just being a part of the Kwanzaa celebration for the city of San Francisco. Um, actually makes me feel uh, very honored just that, uh, you know, I have been paying attention over the last few years, and folks want to know what I remember. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to let, um, I want to let Adimu have an opportunity to share. Um, uh, hopefully Adrian will call in. Um, but the sun looks like the sun is coming out, so I think you might have a little sunshine um, for the ceremony today. Opening up yes. Kwanzaa in San Francisco, so that's really it. Yeah, on the steps of the uh, Rotunda City Hall at twelve o'clock. Right, right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Brother Clint. Look forward to seeing yes. you this this uh, beginning of the seven days of renewal and uh, celebration of the first fruit. Yes, and I, you know, want people to know that Kwanzaa is week-long celebration. It's a week-long kickoff to a year-long celebration of the Nguzu Saba Um, and uh, its power and what it can do for our community and our our people as well as the world. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Well, you take good care. And I'll see you on um, Imani over in Bayview. Uh, Yes, absolutely. And uh, I look forward to being in your company, Wanda. Sister, thank you very much for uh, blessing me with uh, those words. You are truly a word slanger for show for yeah. show. Uh, Thank you very much. Yes. And uh, Brother Malik, uh, I-, I love you, beloved, and I look forward to seeing you in a little bit. Yeah, Malik's gone, but you will see him a okay. little bit. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Adimu, tell us about Wolfhawk Jaguar. What do you have planned for this Friday in at the 57th Street Gallery in North Oakland? Okay, it's all blessed. Actually, the event is Saturday, the 29th oh, at 57th Street oh. Gallery. And uh, uh, the doors open at 5. The show's going to start at 8. And this is our actually our fourth annual um, Warrior Spirit Art Experience. Um, oh, it's that one. Oh. Yeah. yeah, so this is, this is our yeah. fourth one, so it's it's been a blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely okay, excited yeah. about it. Yeah. Is this the movie that I saw as a part of the Open International Arts Festival? Yes. So we actually, the the, the third event that we had was actually the, the movie. We made a movie about the first Warrior Spirit Art Experience. And uh, mm-hmm. we showed that at Yoshi's last year, and also it was in the Open International Film Festival. 
So this will be the, the, the fourth annual one that we've had, um, which is, you know, like I said, it's definitely a blessing to be able to put on these type of uh, cultural events um, for the community and, and have it supported so much by the community. And, uh, you know, anytime we can get culture out there to the people, it's a wonderful thing. Oh, yes, certainly, certainly. So so are you going to have visual artists like you did um, at the um, uh, the third one, the one that was yes. filmed? Yes, uh, everyone, we've always had visual artists. And we'll have visual artists, Nedra T. Williams and Gail Madhun. And uh, we have a, a, a host of fantabulous uh, musical guests, including Word Slanger. Uh, Yagbe Awolu Onilu is going to be performing, and The Attic, and of course myself, Wolfhawk Jaguar, we all going to be gracing the stage. It's, um, it, it's definitely going to be an event. This one is called The Cleanse, and we're really just trying to provide a forum where people can get information about how to, how to cleanse, you know, um, especially with so much going on in the world today, you know, we need to cleanse and we need to heal, and, and that's the theme of this show. And it's, it's, it's going to be a film also, which we're going to really uh, 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 examine different cultural ways of, of cleaning, you know, how do people go about cleaning. You know, we know how to clean our hands when they get dirty, but how do we clean our spirit? How do we clean our soul when it gets dirty, you know, through trauma, through grief, um, through all the different things that get dirty one's spirit and soul out here. So it, it's something that we want to give to the community the information that we want to give and we want to give it in a way that people can be entertained at the same time. So uh, Warrior Spirit Art Experience, the fourth annual one is going down this Saturday and it's going to be a beautiful event. And I invite everybody out to come and experience it. Yeah. And it's so, okay. at five, you said. Five, not eight, right? Say what? You said the door is actually open at five, right? Yeah, the door is open at five. And the the actual show will start at eight. So you know, from five on to eight, you can come in, enjoy yourself at Fifty Seventh Street Gallery. The visual artists will be there. The marketplace will be open. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's a time to really come and, and, and enjoy enjoy community and enjoy friends and, and, and get ready for the show. Fifty Seventh Street Gallery is a wonderful venue. Uh, he's going to be serving food that night. Um, it's it's going to be nice. And that's um, Ujamu. That's like the day of Kwanzaa that it actually is, and that's cooperative economics. So that sounds yeah, like a is. wonderful place to be, you know, oh, uh, black artist, black art. Yep. You know, a day where you're celebrating cooperative economics. So it yeah. all fits in. It sure does, because that's what yeah. we're doing, you know. <clears throat> right. Yeah, so tell us about the theme about getting cleansed and how that ties into the Wolfhawk Jaguar. Talk a little bit about Wolfhawk Jaguar because that's a really interesting story that you told us at your pre-CD uh, release party. Well, um, <clears throat> Wolfhawk Jaguar is, uh, that that that's also my name, and that's how people know me in the performance world, but it's also a spiritual name for me um, that, uh, you know, came to me many, many years ago, and just, you know, utilizing the power of the animal spirits. You know, the, the gods love high animal spirits, and Wolfhawk Jaguar is the highest of the animal spirits. And, you know, the wolf in itself symbolizing, to me, you know, a, a fantabulous hunter. You know, the wolf can find anything, but also the wolf, to me, really, uh, and when I 
think in terms of how the black, you know, male is viewed in the world today. You know, it, it's a lot of a lot of people that demonize the wolf within the media in terms of the big bad wolf and Little Red Riding Hood and this and that. And, and you know, that's kind of like how the black male is demonized a lot of times. But then when you really look, the wolf is a skilled hunter, a dedicated, uh, you know, pack and community member, uh, very loyal to family and and, and that's kind of how I see the black man. And so I, I, the, the wolf is, you know, I, it's an honor for me to uh, uh, have the, the title of, of the wolf within my name. And, of course, the hawk. You know, what better hunter is there than the hawk? Who has better vision than the hawk? You know, we talk about, you know, traditional African spirituality. The hawk has always been revered for uh, the vision and the spirit that it carries. And, uh, you know, the jaguar, the jaguar, you know, uh, from the Black Panthers to the Mayans to the Aztecs, the, the jaguar has always been revered. And the jaguar is one who knows no fear. And so for me, being Wolfhawk Jaguar, combining all those fantastic hunters uh, into one name, you know, um, it, it allows me to be a skilled hunter. And when I say a skilled hunter, I mean the ability to hunt for success, the ability to hunt for health the ability to hunt for love and happiness and peace and positive, progressive, universal vibes through my music. And that's what I use Wolfhawk Jaguar to, to, to do, to find. You know, a lot of people, you know, everybody in this world is on a hunt for something. You know, uh, we might not look at it like that, but what I like to bring forth through Wolfhawk Jaguar is that you can look at it like that. You can look at successes as something that you need to hunt for and, and, and trap and capture. And I like to provide the information to people on how to do that. And that's what Wolfhawk Jaguar is, is used for, you know, to to hunt for the right spirits, the right messages, and to bring those down. And, you know, the first album is Hunter Poetry because, like I said, we're on a hunt, and, and the music is like the poetry for that hunt for peace and positive, progressive, universal vibes. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. And um, we uh, have been playing parts of... Uh Kari shells, I really like that one. And then you also sent me uh issue exit and um uh and then uh me Nothing one. else seems to mind. And all those are feature yeah. songs. Kari shells features word slinger and mm -hmm. SU Exit features Yagbe Awolu or Nilu and uh Nothing Else Seems to Mind features Isoke Custom Designs and Major T. Williams and all those people will be in the house and performing that night. So that's why I sent you those ones so people could kind of hear a lot of the, the, the other artists that are going to be in the house that night and uh, performing and, and, and gracing the stage with uh, their cleansing and healing music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, really exciting, really exciting. I was looking at the Indinkra uh, for Kuumba, uh, not Kuumba, excuse me, Ujamaa Cooperative Economics, and um, it's... Uh, Looks like crescent moons uh, facing each other, so that they um, they lock, they sort of interlock, and and that's what cooperative economics is, you know, sort of uh, keeping everything going in one in one circle, so that you know the money stays in our community, so we can grow, you know, individually and as a community. So that's really wonderful. But if you could um, maybe talk a little bit more about about hunter poetry and the wonderful pieces you have on it and the idea of, of Orishas, because you, you actually invoke in your in the poetry and the in the music uh African spirituality. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? 
Okay, well, the album is definitely a uh, a world music album, and it uh, is really a, you know, when we think about Ifa and we think about all the branches that come out of Ifa, we realize that, you know, it's been translated into Spanish, Portuguese, French, Creole, but I never, you know, for my life, I had always been searching for Ifa, but I was never really able to find it in a way that I understood it and that I could apply it to my life. And once I was able to 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 to, to capture that, my goal was to be able to translate it in a way that people like myself, you know, people from the neighborhood and the community could see the beauty of Ifa, you know, and hear it in words that they're familiar with and be able to apply and understand it to their life. And, and that's really what put you um, You know, I was blessed to be able to, to go on a magnificent journey through the world of Ifa. And, and I, you know, I knew that I was supposed to capture these songs and these messages and present this to my community in a way that they could say, man, that, you know, that, that, that song slap, man. What, what is he talking about, man? Oh, man, who's Ogun, man? What, what's Ogun happy being, bruh? And throw the rope, man. That's a cold video, man. What What's that mean, man? I can feel it. It's powerful. And, you know, th- these are the kind of messages I get back from a lot of uh, folks, youngsters and, and elders who might have just always thought, oh, man, we ain't into that voodoo shit. What's that, man? That's that, that black magic. What, what is that? And, you know, I wanted people to see the beauty of our lineage. I wanted people to see the beauty of our ancestors and realize that a lot of the the messages that they've been given about our ancestors and our lineage has been wrong, you know, and it's been done so to keep us unattached, you know. And uh, this is our way of really attaching ourselves back to our ancestors, to our gongum, to our ori, to our orishas, and saying that, hey, you know, the Orishas can speak Ebonics now, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and we can use that power, you know, uh, it's still in us, and all we have to do is remember, you know, who we really are, and we can make that journey, and we can make that mm-hmm. cope. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I was listening to uh, Wordslander's poem about, you know, not ever being able to go back to Africa, but going back so much in spirit. And you know, uh, this is a this is this is a vehicle that we could use to, to go back to our ancestors, go back to the village, and, and hear those songs, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, sit down and, and, and experience you know our spirituality before we got on the boat. You know what was going on in the villages back then. You know what were we talking mm-hmm. about the songs, and so it, it just gives me great honor to you know I say I just feel blessed that the. The universe and the ancestors chose a man like me to bring this message through. And, uh, you know, that's what I really feel. Like it was a, you know, I was chosen to bring this message through. And I just feel honored that people uh, were able to hear it and respect it and, you know, get something out of the images and the music uh, of Hunter Poetry. And the response, the response to this work in, in in when you hear it in person is just so profound I remember being out at youth um youth uprising out in East Oakland and there was an elderly woman who came and heard some of the songs and at the end of the show she broke down in tears. She was just so so touched, so moved, you know. This is powerful, powerful music, it's powerful art 
and it it is medicine. It is so much of what Wolfhawk Jaguar just says illustrates my point of this being restored to justice on a whole a whole different level. Um, that seeks to clear a path, as Ogun does, to clear a path for you back to yourself. It just mm. it helps you to understand so many things about yourself, the things that have been missing, you know? It, it is that rope being thrown so that you can find your way back home. Mm. So, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I thought... Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, uh, Elegba, you know, sort of, you know, clearing the path. Uh, and, and you have SU, which is Elegba, right? Yeah, SU is, you know, there's, like I said, you know, Ifa is the tree, and it has many branches. And as it branched out, you know, SU, depending on where you go to, might be uh, uh, Elegba, Elegba. But uh, mm-hmm. it's the same energy, and Eshu is the guardian of the crossroads. And Eshu right, is the exactly. one who puts you on your road. And once you're on your road, your road might have hurdles and potholes in it, and that's when we go for Ogun and the power of the machete because Ogun can clear all paths. So Eshu was always the first. We always go to Eshu, Elegwa, Elegba first, and, and Eshu will carry your messages to where they need to be. Eshu will put you on the right road if appeased correctly. And once you're on that road, you might need the power of Ogun to clear that road for you. And um, uh, that that's that's what we use Eshu for. And, uh, you know, the first song, Eshu is the first and the last. And on Hunter Poetry, the first song is Eshu Entrance, and the last song is Eshu Exit, because we know that Eshu is the first and the last. And uh, we definitely give respect to Eshu and to all the Orishas that, you know, um, allowed us to, to sing for them on this uh, project, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if um, uh, if our audience knows uh, other work of yours because um, you have you are certainly a culture worker. Um, you and Maya Daly uh, and Zinga and all of the collaborators on this this wonderful under poetry. But uh, you're a really wonderful film that you did on young men's rites of passage in in South Africa, that was really a beautiful film. And, oh, yeah, wow. Uh, then, that, was, that was a lot of ways back. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, what's the name of that film? That was really beautiful. That that was called The Death of, Death of Tarzan. Right, right, yeah. And then when you explain the title, uh, why don't you explain how, how you came up with that particular title because uh, – you know, what the film is about is not what one thinks about when you think about the death of Tarzan. Well, you know, I, I was blessed to, you know, my ancestors decided it was time for me to uh, leave America and, and go to Africa. And I had been dreaming about Africa my whole life. And out of the blue, an opportunity came for me to, to go to Africa, not really as a tourist, but as a teacher. And I went to school in Lesotho, Southern Africa, and became a teacher and, you know, lived out there teaching and and learning for about a good four years. And within that time, I realized that Africa was so much more than plague wars, petting zoos, and poverty, and that the Africa that they were showing me as an African-American male in America was not one that appealed to me. But once I got there, I realized that, wow, man, the brothers and sisters out here are, are just like 
the brothers and sisters in America. They, they, they like to party the same way. They love the same way. They hurt the same way. They're dealing with a lot of the same problems. And, you know, they, I realized that it was time to secure the Tarzan image of Africa, you know, because so many African Americans, you know, that's the thing that they asked me in Africa. They said, they said, my brother, why don't you guys ever come back? You know, everybody comes here. You know, the Europeans, the, the Chinese, uh, South America, everybody comes except for the African-American. You know, I said, well, you know, all they show us is the animals and, and, and hungry black kids. We don't want to come see that. You know, so I realized that it was my job and, and, and my partner, Shaka Jamal Redman, uh, you know, we, we set out to make this, this documentary, The Death of Tarzan, and it was really our attempt to show people the real Africa, as we saw it, Africa through the eyes of an African uh, uh, African American black man, you know. So we showed the community, we showed the brothers laughing, we showed the the, the hip hop scene, we showed the the urban environment, and then you know we uh, put another film in there called Quella Quadini, which was about you know uh, 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 rites of passage um, into manhood from a, a boy to a man. So. It was a wonderful experience. You know, I, Africa is, you know, my, my, my home, and, and I just feel blessed that I've had the opportunity to, to, to live in Africa, learn the language, um, develop relationships and, and families out there that, uh, uh, you know, now I can take my family there and uh, take my friends and, and, and say, hey, you going to Africa? You going to South Africa? Hey, look, call this person. Call this person. You know, you, you need a place to stay? Call this person. And, uh, you know, I think us as African-Americans, we have to be able to do that. You know, uh, okay. you know, Europe is nice. South America is nice. Uh, the Caribbean is nice. But it's no place like home. And uh, uh, Africa is home. And you realize that when you, when you get off the plane and, and you see the smiles of all the beautiful African people that are so happy that you as an African-American decided to come back home. And it's no feeling like it. And, uh, you know, I encourage every African-American, you, you can go. It's not that difficult. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, people are fighting to buy these Nikes. You know, uh, three, four pair of Nikes. You got you a round trip ticket to Africa. You know, it costs the same amount to go to Hawaii. So you can go, and I encourage all African Americans to go and, and experience, you know, home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's quite remarkable. I certainly agree. And and what you said about being able to, you know, someone's traveling to, let's say, Johannesburg. You know, give somebody some numbers, but that's what Shaka did. When I was told I was going to Johannesburg, going to South Africa, he said, oh, yeah, call my friend, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. I think he gave me, like, eight names. And, yeah. uh, and, and you know, and, and on the other end, you know, about three or four of them followed through, and it was just really beautiful. But I also wanted to mention with Shaka Jamal that um, Redmond, who, you know, you um, collaborate on, you know, the films, that you mentioned, and also you had a group called um, Hairdo, and uh, and then your your um, your film come under an acronym called Black Eight, which I I think that's really interesting. Sort of how you're taking these words Tars and Apes and things like that, and and giving us a whole another way of looking at them. What what does Black Eight stand for? Okay, well, Black Apes is a company that me and Shaka Jamal started in South Africa. It's a publishing company. We actually did a deal with 
Sony, South Africa, and we started a company called Black Apes, which is an acronym for Business, Life, Arts, Culture, Kids, Artistic Publishing, Entertainment Services. And, uh, you know, the Black Ape, you know, is is unbelievably powerful, you know, and just that whole presence of, you know, being an ape, you know, we, we, you know, people sometimes will try to use that as a negative term, but, you know, we embrace it and say, you know, the ape is beautiful. You know all the apes. You know the the uh, the you know from the gorilla to the baboon to the you know uh, the chimpanzee, everything. You know and uh, you know artistic publishing, entertainment services, and, and that's what our company does. So whenever me and Shaka Jamal get together uh, to make film or video uh, or music, it's under the, the the heading Black Apes, and so that's our publishing company. And you know when you see Black Apes you're going to see some culture. And so that's what Black Apes is about, bringing forth culture in an artistic way, um, you know, uh, uh, that uh, can uplift the community from the kids to the elders. And that's what Black Apes are. And we've had the company now for, wow, probably going on almost 10 years. And through those 10 years, we've been able to put out some real insightful films, music, and and, and, uh, videos. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you have a website that people should visit to get copies of your um your poetry and your films and just yeah, they can go to three nine three films dot com. You know the number three nine three then f i l m s dot com and three nine three films dot com. You can get the album. You can films. Um, you can also get the the music off of any digital site that has music has uh, Hunter Poetry, the album by Wolf Hall Jaguar, iTunes, Amazon, uh, everywhere. So uh, the album is out there, but you can also get it at 393films.com. And if you're in the Bay Area, I encourage you to come out on Saturday the 29th to experience the cleanse and participate in this cooperative economics. And And I guarantee you it'll be an event and a night like none other, and you will definitely leave feeling um, you know, feeling the blessings that we're going to give everybody. Oh, yeah, that film looked like, oh, my goodness, that was the place to be. So, uh, yep. yeah, we great to doing it again. <laughs> and and also want to mention before I, I um, ask you to talk about how you met uh, Dr. Nzinga, uh, um, that you, um, that you uh, filmed Operation Small Acts, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. The right. uh, the director and producer for Operation Small Axe. Mhm. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then you have a, another short film based on your um, under poetry, Every Breath of Life, which is just really really nice. And yeah, um, Every Breath of Life, Throw the Rope. Um, you know, so like I, I mean, you know, the thing is, I, I've really been blessed to be around some supremely talented individuals that believe in me and are there to assist me when I have these dreams and these concepts and and have the talent to take what I'm conceiving and bring it into reality. You know, we call it dreams to reality, you know, uh, the ancient alchemaic art of changing metal to gold. And and, and that's what we do. We take these these dreams and we bring them into reality. And and people such as Ayodele, Wurzlanger, and Zinga, Shaka Jamal, uh, you know, these are just a few of the people that, you know, are so talented that when I come to them with these ideas, 
They're like, man, okay, let's do it. How are we going to do this? Okay, I can do this. I can do that. And really that's so much cooperative economics because when you look at it, the images and stuff, and, you know, we, we got to be honest, we don't, we don't make a lot of money off of this. You know, this isn't something that, you know, we always say we don't make money off of it. We might make money through it. But we're not at a stage yet where we're getting, you know, big contracts and, you know, uh, big budgets to make these movies and, and to do these albums. This, this comes from our pocket. And so, you know, when you think about it, it it, it, it kind of lets you know why we're supported by lovers everywhere because we give all we have until there's nothing left and, and we give it freely and, and we give it in the hope that it can uplift and, and help others. And, um, you know, with that kind of mindset, there's no way we can lose. And, and the universe always takes care of us. And so when we set out to make these films with, with no budget, no big backing, you know, just an idea, we, we, we never let not having that money uh, stop us. And, you know, and, I, and that's something I try to preach to everybody, especially the young folk out there today, that, you know, don't, don't let money stop your dream from manifesting because a lot of times that's just a test to see if you really want it, to see if you're really dedicated to it. And, uh, you know, we're a perfect example of that because we keep putting out um, unbelievably high-grade material, and we're not signed to any big labels. We didn't, you know, uh, we're not getting the, the, the film deals and the theaters and stuff like that, but I guarantee you when you see our films and you hear our music, you're going to say, my goodness, how did you guys do this? Wow, this is amazing. And so, um, you know, that that that's the magic. And uh, so I, I definitely give thanks to the ancestors and to all the wonderful creative people that continue to support and love us, you know, and, and allow us to continue making this art. Yeah, yeah. So um, I want to um, talk about uh, you and I, O'Daly, how, how, you, um, how you met each other. And because I know you're a member of, the lower bottom players, and we see you playing various roles in um, in the re envisioned. Uh, Daly, what do you call it when you the way you take a classic and you make it uh, part of the West Oakland we, community? Where we you used to be really popular for adaptations until I started doing the work of August Wilson, which had a, a which actually has the ability to, to speak to my desire to do adaptations for West Oakland. I always wanted to put um, this community or community of West Oakland front and center in any story we told since our practice is in West Oakland. But it was always a universal uh, uh, thought because to me uh, West Oakland is emblematic of all oppressed spaces where black people struggle to to find the peace of the American dream or, or struggle to find success. So um, I used to do adaptations, and then, like I said, when I ran into the work of August Wilson, I no longer had to because August Wilson's stories, although mostly centered in Pittsburgh, have a very universal ability to speak the African experience. Um, but back to where Adimu and I first met, Adimu, I'll uh, let well, you tell well, the story. Let me, let, me, uh, let me interrupt you really quickly. Um, but I remember uh, sort of early on, because I actually came to the dedication of the Thea Bowman Theater, and um, uh, that's, you know, in the back of the Prescott Joseph Center, really wonderful. And and uh, you would do Shakespeare in the Yard, and uh, and you also did some other pieces, too, like the one around um, adoption. 
I don't know what that one was called. Remember that one? Um, it was a piece by Lisa Marie Rollins. It was in a, yeah. uh, a, a series of shorts that we did um, mm-hmm. because uh, it also had a piece by Matt Dennis in it and uh, mm-hmm. some original work in it. Um, our original format years ago was that we did a Shakespearean piece in the fall, Shakespeare in the Yard, and that we would do a work by an artist of color in the, the beginning. And that mm-hmm. got me a theater built. And that was wonderful. And we have worked <laughs> towards doing what it is we would really like to do, which is doing the work of people of color. So we switched that up a little bit, and we did original work in the in the, the spring. And in the fall, we originally did adaptations of Shakespeare, where I did Mac Against His Tale and Ebony and Johnny, where we made, we just yeah. put it right down here in the hood. But again, yeah. like I said, I ran into August Wilson and mm-hmm. really began to when I when I made it my intention to become an expert on August Wilson and to direct the entire century cycle in order. I'm almost halfway through right now. This when I do this season, I will be over halfway through in that commitment. I understand that in Wilson's work is a universal story of the North American African experience in in America. So. I have settled on doing Wilson and am am committed to doing it. I'm very, very fortunate to have somebody as talented um, as Adimu in the cast to help me render these stories. Essentially, I I like to think of what I do as an artist is I tell stories. I tell them all kinds of formats, plays, poems. Sometimes they let me on a song, you know. Um, I want to swing it back to Black Eggs because uh, I, I love the story of how we met. And because I'm also a black ape, and the team who left that part out, so it'll give him a chance to 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 fix that. So, <laughs> a team back to you, my brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well, one more um, thing. One 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 more thing, Adima. Um, hold your thought. Um, I was just thinking. I I really, um when I first met you, uh, it was in recovery theater with with uh, Marvin X, and that was like Mar- a really long running. Theatrical experience. It is African American play in North America. Anybody wants to dispute the fact, bring me the facts. Uh, One Day in the Life is the longest running African American play in North America. Yeah. And it only mm-hmm. closed because Marvin got tired of doing it. So. <laughs> right, yeah. And I saw you at the old Lorraine Hansberry Theater, front and center, and it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, such a such a presence. Doesn't she, Adima? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah, so now you can talk. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh, okay, well, uh, you know, I I had uh, uh, heard about uh, Word Slanger while I was in Africa, actually. Um, I just remember Shaka telling me about the sister that he had heard do some poetry, and that, you know, if 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 we get back to Oakland, he wanted me to see this sister do this poetry. And, you know, I remember hearing about her. And, and then one day um, a sister named Hunia, she knew that I was uh, into acting. She uh, uh, she told me, hey, you know, this is sister up the street is doing a play. And, you know, she's paying people. You want? I said, oh, she's paying people too? Okay, yeah, I'm down to see what's up. And uh found out that the sister that was paying people to do plays was Word Slinger. 
And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, wow, man, this is the word slanger. Okay. Now, I still hadn't heard her do any poetry yet, but, uh, you know, I met her as a director. I was like, yeah, she's she pretty intense, man, you know. I, I, but I still ain't seen any poetry yet. And then, um, you know, at that time we were running an event called Fire. And um, we uh, invited uh, uh, Word Slanger to come down and line the event. And um, she just she blew the place up, and uh, it really it really was a magical connection, you know, doing the plays and then us doing the music behind her poetry, you know, just kind of connected on a level that was really uh, 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 you know divine intervention. And uh, you know, as we moved on, we um, you know. We we said hey you know Wordslinger you 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 a black ape you know the way we all roll we 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 need you with black apes you know to 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 help with these pro- projects you know and that's why I said like initially you know giving thanks to Wordslinger and Shaka Jamal when I come to them with these ideas I'm able to come to them with these ideas and they're able to to help facilitate and any ideas that you know and and it's beautiful to be able to connect like that as artists to where you know you can go to somebody that's so talented and, and you know, get some honest feedback about the or creation that uh uh you have in mind. And um, you know, uh that's how I met Wurstlanger and since then I mean we've we we work on everything from plays to music and, and films and, you know, even stuff that we're not even on, we help each other with, you know, uh Worst Langer has an album out that we all did together to help uh, put Hunter Poetry together, um, you know, from uh, everything, you know, even even um, uh, uh, Operation Small Axe, you know, Throw the Rope, you know. Um, so it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful family, the Black H family. And, um, you know, we, we, we're small, but we're very creative and we're very determined and we're very blessed. And I think that that, you know, when you get people that come to your shows and cry, that's something, you know. And the last show we did on the 9th at uh, Linda J's Bed and Breakfast, a man heard Wordslanger doing her poems and got up after she got done and went and cried as loud as I've ever heard a grown man cry, you know, on her shoulders because her words touched him in such a way and healed him in such a way that, uh, you know, he never knew he was looking for that. And, and and like she said, people will come up to us and cry when they hear our, our music and they see our films and, and, and see our shows. And to me, that's just like, you know, that that, that really lets you know that uh, you, you're doing divine work and, and that the work you're doing is so much bigger than anything else going on and that this is something that you were chosen for. And when you can get around people that mobility through their art, you know, it it allows you to, to hold your head up real high, you know, when you know that you're going on stage and you got Word Slanger right there or you got uh, Shaka Jamal right there and, and uh, or, or you're doing a film or a play and uh, you, can, you you know that they're going to bring it and you know that you have the ability to bring it. And so that that's what the Black Apes are, you know, myself, Word Slanger, Shaka Jamal. And, uh, you know, we just continue trying to put out you know, within that, we all have our own little companies that we have, but, you know, when we all come together, it's under the heading Black Age Project. 
And, uh, you know, uh, our worst language is definitely a black ape. And I definitely didn't forget it. I just said it in a different way. But uh, she's a okay. black ape. And, and uh, <laughs> you know. proud of it, okay? <laughs> yeah, you know, and we just, uh, you know, we, we, we highly talented, highly creative, uh, blessed individuals that are griots, you know. And I think the thing she said is we tell stories, and we, we tell our stories through many different um, uh, mediums, you know, whether it be music, whether it be plays, whether it be films, whether it be uh, uh, videos, whatever it is, you know, and and, and that's really just the, the blessings that have been bestowed for me to be able to get on stage and reach people in a play, for me to be able to do a film and reach people, for me to be able to be on stage with my band and reach people is just, uh, you know, we're just highly blessed out here, and uh, you know, we just uh, we, we we have a responsibility, and I think that we're responsibility to our community by using our art in a way that could uplift and uh, heal and uh, bring people together, and uh, that's what we do. Wonderful, wonderful. So we are speaking to um, Adi Mumayun and Ayadele Nzinga, Dr. Nzinga, about. The Saturday Evening Jazz featuring Wilcox Jaguar, the band of hunters at 57th Street Gallery, uh, Floyd Pelham's 57th Street Gallery, on 57th and Telegraph. And the evening opens at 5 o'clock or 5 to 8. You can shop and support the artists just get into the good groove and eat some food, and, and then the show starts. Is the dance floor going to be open? The dance floor is going to be open. And it's gonna be packed, and so you know we yeah. we we have a wonderful group of brothers that's gonna be on there too, the attic, and uh, mm-hmm. to me they're one of the most powerful um, um, hip hop bands to uh, ever. You know, fantastically talented brothers, and, and and they're coming together, and we just did a show on the knife that was so powerful that I'm so excited that uh, you know we get to do this show together too. So the attic is gonna be there, and we got. You know, Baba Yakbe, who is his, his, his oh, wow. of, you know, as you exit, he sings on that song, and, and he is one of the greatest Orisha uh, praise mm-hmm. singers ever, and he's been around the world from Cuba to Nigeria, and people know his voice, and they, they know what he's done in the community, Thanks. and he's going to be performing. So if you know anything about Ifa, Orisha, and you know about Yakbe, uh, Baba Yakbe is going to be in the house performing. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful thing to have him there Um, as, you know, one of our elders, one of our spiritual leaders, um, you know, uh, coming out and performing. So it's going to be something there for everybody. It's going to be a wonderful night of world music, good vibes, good friends, and high animal spirits. Um, So come on out to the cleanse and and get yourself cleansed. You're on the 29th Street Valley. Get it right for the new year. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, we already, um, you know, we had our our new beginning, um, December twenty first, uh, when the the Mayan calendar started again. You know, from the beginning oh, yeah. for another five thousand or so years, and and it was also the uh, the solstice mm-hmm. at three o'clock in the morning. And so, yeah, people aren't cleansed, and you know, you can't ever be in the uh, you know, getting in a state of purity is always wonderful and always love. So if you think you're clean, you can always take another cleanse. 
Oh, you can always do it. And you can come there and cleanse because we're going to have the clean. We're going to have stuff there that can cleanse you right on the spot. So it's going to be an experience. And that's what we try to do with the Warrior Spirit Art Experience is give people an artistic experience that maybe they haven't had before. You know, so a little bit different from just coming, sitting down, and watching a show. It's actually going to be an experience that you're going to be able to say, oh, wow, man, the Warrior Spirit Art Experience, that was no joke, man. I felt that. It really is an experience. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, the, is, and the Florida water is always available at any Wolfhawk Jaguar performance. So the Florida water is available, and uh, you know people can partake of it. And we also have a palm wine and a lot of other surprises for people. And so it's going to be something real beautiful. And uh, really yeah. excited about Saturday. It's going it's going to be an unbelievable vibe, and um, mm-hmm. the people are responding to it well. And uh, like I say, it's going to be packed. So make sure you, uh, you know, you get there on time so you can catch everything. Yeah, and it's, it's so reasonable, only, you know, $10. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so people need to, you know, get down to the Savage Gallery. I think they do, um, I think they do brown paper tickets and get the ticket online. Uh, they're at 5701 Telegraph Avenue. And um, and your um, your website is uh, 393films.com, right? 393films.com. The album is Hunter Poetry, the artist Wolfhawk Jaguar, and that's available on iTunes, Amazon, and they can get any information they want come Saturday. And they can go to 57th Street Gallery and get tickets beforehand, too, if they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good, because it's a really nice, intimate space, but it, it doesn't hold, like, thousands of people. Hundreds. Well, you know, we, we, haven't, so. we haven't reached that level yet, you know, and, and uh, you know, we give we give so much uh, praise for the level we on, and those are definitely levels that we're uh, you know in the future going to be reaching. But uh, mm-hmm. right now, you know, uh, we're intimate spots that can you know hold between 100 and 200 people. But uh, mm-hmm. I guarantee you, we when we get down, we get down like we performing for millions. You know, who's ever oh, yeah. in there? So it, it, it's going to be who can uh, say, "Wow, man, you guys." <laughs> it's, I've never seen nothing like this, man. Y'all, man, what what, what are y'all doing? You know, and, and I like hearing that from people after they see us perform. And, 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 I, and I like hearing people being able to cry and get out the the, the, the pain when they hear our, our healing sounds. And, um, and that, that's definitely going to be there that night because we're coming with a healing sound from the City of Bones. And, um, you know, okay Custom Designs is going to be there. Performing, she's going to have a custom-made jewelry. Major T. Williams, Gail McEwen are going to be running the marketplace, and it, mm-hmm. it's going to be a beautiful event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I really like about um, uh, you know Wolfhawk Jaguar um, performances and events is you know you it's it's fun and it's entertaining, but you bring ceremony to it, and and there's a seriousness to it similar to all things that are African, you know, you think about the blessed baton, and you think about other other types of rituals, uh, uh, gatherings, where we're having fun, but we're also worshiping. Uh, and, yeah, and so, you know, you come and you're white, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's ceremony, but it's accessible. <laughs> and I think it's important for our people to see that, to see the beauty mm-hmm. and, and the love of ceremony. You know, that's one thing that... that we've lost contact with here. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just feel blessed that the ancestors in the universe chose a brother like me to, to bring this experience to people. 
And so we, we come out uh, dressed in royalty with our heads held high because, you know, what's closer, you know, to the gods than, you know, the gods love beautiful music and wonderful cloth and, and, and high animal spirits and eloquent words, and, and that's what we're bringing that night. And so for us, it, it, it's ceremonial when we go on stage. You know, it's not just us going doing some songs. It's like we want to travel with you. We we want to we want to do ceremony with you. We want to heal you. And in order for us to heal you, we have to be in a certain frame of mind, and, and we have to really hold that responsibility. And you know, for what it is, and, and, and we're not just coming doing music. We're actually healing people. And we're actually performing ceremony, and um, you can tell when you hear it and when you see us. And uh, that, that this is one of the opportunities we have to really bring down the house with it. And um, the ceremony is going to is called the cleanse, and uh, we're going to be cleansing people that night, and it's going to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, oh, I wanted to um, congratulate you again on your beautiful daughter, and I wanted you to. To call her name for us, because I think that's a great story. When I saw you and your wife and your other child, you know, walking the lake uh, when it was a little warmer. <laughs> oh yeah, like again, that's just part of the blessings that uh, you know I've been bestowed. You know, I have a beautiful wife, uh, Kalila. She's Isoke Custom Design. She does music with me. The song "Nothing Else Seems to Mind" she's featured on, and she's going to be performing that song with me at the uh, Warrior Spirit Art Experience. My beautiful daughters, um, you know, the the video I did, Every Breath of Life, is, is for my daughter, Adeze. And uh, that was a song that, uh, you know, I wrote, you know, between going to the delivery room and, 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 and catching her. And so I was blessed with another beautiful daughter, Neze. So uh, Adeze is a, uh Igbo name, and it means uh, firstborn daughter to the king. And Neze is also an Igbo name. And it means uh, mother of the king. And it's so beautiful because both of these names came from Igbo nurses that happened to be in the delivery room with us when the babies came. And just me knowing that these were African sisters, I started talking to them and started finding out names. And the, the nurses were the ones that actually came down with the names. And then after we had the naming ceremonies for them, those are the names that they wanted. And so uh, Adeze and Neze. Um, my two beautiful daughters, and, uh, you know, I just feel blessed to be able to be a uh, a black man that's able to love his wife and take care of his kids and, and show that to people and, and show people that uh, and brothers that it's okay for us to love our women and to, to love and raise our children and um, to give them culture and to feed them with culture mm-hmm. and, and, and let them thrive. And um, that's the ashe. And you know that's what I say. You know that that's how that's why we're supported by lovers everywhere. Because who doesn't love that? You know that's who doesn't right. love the beauty of the black family? Who doesn't love that? You know so that that that's how we move. And uh, so for me to be able to show that, you know, just by walking the lake or in my music or doing shows together, is. Uh, Hello? Hello? <laughs> Adimu? Hello. Oh, I don't hear Adimu anymore. Oh. I think we might have lost Adimu. I, I think, I think he lo- I lost him. Oh, darn, technology. But that was really beautiful. <laughs> beautiful and so, revolutionary. Because what is more revolutionary 
and to a, a beautiful black family in the midst mm-hmm. of all the struggles that we have right now and all the mm-hmm. su- su- supposed scarcity, you know, that there is right mm-hmm. now. How beautiful and revolutionary is that spirit of abundance that you can just claim by being on the right path, you know? Yeah. Um, right, yeah. And then the whole idea of black men loving black women, I just think about, you know, this film, um, Durango, you know, with um, Jamie Foxx and, and Carrie Washington. Um, and and it's a, it's a love story. Um, this, this man loves his wife so much that he's willing to go into hell and, and rescue, rescue her, you know, whatever it takes. You know, so you've seen the film? Mm-hmm. So you've seen the film? Yeah, I saw it last night. It is yeah. really, really well done. Um, the violence, you know, you think about, oh, my God, it's so bloody. But then you, when you reflect on it, it's like, man, if this is bad, if this is hard for me to to to, to stomach, what, what, is, what is the reality of this? Because this is just a microcosm of, what, 400 years of, you know, physical captivity, you know, chattel slavery is. And, you know, we can't even wrap our minds around that because we're not living that necessarily right now. I mean, we're living in other kinds of captivity, but nothing that brutal. And so it's like, oh, my God, but it's such, oh, man, it's such a great story. It, I, I really recommend it. Uh, I, I would love to talk to you about it after you see it. Yeah, I, y'all, we'll we'll make a date to talk about it after I see it. Um, I've heard uh, some some I've heard another side, and so it's always interesting to watch it. I mean, it's like some people love Tyler Perry's work. I I, I think that it's abysmal, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I you know, and some people are just so happy to see black images on the screen mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. you know we get really excited because well, the black people is that what you want? You know, not mm-hmm. necessarily. You know, and there's we have right. a new form of violence now. You know, a, a media is a is a is a a source of and a form of violence. When you see black men with their hands up and their pants down, you know, constantly over the over the five o'clock news. Although, you know, percentage wise, when we start to look at the numbers, we understand that the 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 carceral system is broken in America, and we understand that black people are unfairly represented in it. And then you go to images on television where we have magic Negroes, um, we have uh, these odd pairing, uh, odd, you know what, let's just put it in, in a, a more recent context. Uh, the shootings um, that happened in Connecticut, that happened in yeah. a community that is 90, like 97% white. Mm-hmm. Now, for all the scarcity of black images or images of color on television, I found it just so interesting that almost every shot that I saw about the Stony Brook thing had a person of color in it, usually a black person. Do you know how much manipulating you have to go through to make that happen in a space that is 97% white? So the manipulation of of images and, 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 and what you see you know, and the way that it's presented. I saw the color purple again for the first mm-hmm. time in years the other day, and I remember loving it the first time I saw it. Well, it's not the wild. Everybody's in it. Danny Glover, my friend that I've been on stage with, is so famous now, and Whoopi Goldberg, and who's yeah. new, and it's 
exciting and, and all these different people. And there's even some more black people I don't even know, but they're really good actors. This is good. I mean, and then when I, I was really excited. But it's, it's interesting how you can look at things with a certain consciousness and it's okay. And I saw it again, like, a, a, this year, a two, maybe only a month or so ago. I was appalled. It struck me like watching Precious. And when I watched mm-hmm. Precious, I felt, I felt like I felt dirty. I felt dirty for mm-hmm. watching the entire thing to be able to have an opinion on it. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. It was, it, yeah. and The Color Purple, uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm looking at a copy of, of Alice Walker's book because I plan to reread it to see, to, to confirm that it's okay, what I think, that it's okay for me to tell some stories, but there are other stories that uh, uh, aren't mine to tell, you know? And, and, and there's always an agenda in telling a story. I'm going to add a demo to this conversation. He's calling me, and I can add, a, add, a, add you to the, oh, to the conversation. Okay, excellent. Well, I don't know if they come back or not. <laughs> so um, I'm going to um, close out this uh, Kwanzaa special from the archives with um, uh, a wonderful piece um, from Sweet Honey and the Rock, Seven Principles. Oh, my. 